Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, and welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to another edition of The Sea Report. And uh, we are coming to you live on this uh, Tuesday, December 14th, 2021. How is everyone doing out there? I hope everyone is well. I am doing pretty good myself for a Tuesday, right? And uh, we are coming to you guys live on multiple platforms tonight, including, but not limited to, thefoxhole.app, pill.net, twitch.tv, uh, clouthub.app, and trovo.live. Oh, and then there's DLive also. <laughs> like I said, not limited to. Having a good night tonight, guys. Uh, ready to get into the thick of things with a report for this evening. We got a couple of things to cover. We'll do, um, yeah, on par, a few Trump statements. We got a couple of statements and a couple of endorsements to kind of look at. Uh, I thought the endorsements uh, that we'll share with you all tonight in the audience um, <clears throat> is appropriate, uh, considering um, uh, the state that these two candidates are being endorsed for. It's actually up in Michigan. And Lord knows that Michigan can use some help up there in the great northern United States of America. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. And uh, we'll check out uh, these candidates. There is uh, some interesting information about the two ladies that uh, President Trump is endorsing. And it appears that it is also uh, the first time for both of them to be running for any type of public office elected. So uh, that should be uh, that should be pretty interesting. But hey, they got President Trump's endorsement. They are America first. Uh, so we'll take a gander at the two of them this evening before we get into some other news. Of course, we've got uh, plenty of stories for you guys tonight. Uh, we have um, will we will uh, <laughs> we you you could you guess what we're going to be talking about tonight, ladies and gentlemen? Oh yes, we will be talking about election fraud. Oh, yeah, we just we are not going to let that go here at the Sea Report. We are as tenacious as a bulldog or is it a pit bull pit bull. You don't want to get that lock jaw now, do you? All right, guys. Um, before we get into the show today, of course, if you are watching us, you are with us live on this Tuesday evening. And I thank you all for being here. We always appreciate uh, the uh, uh, the presence and, um, you know, hanging out and uh, checking out the show and seeing what we have to offer you all uh, by way of, uh, you know, my views and also the news that we share. Uh, but um, I would encourage you all to also check out the podcast side of the show. And that is over at anchor.fm slash the C report. That's right. Anchor.fm slash the C report. And uh, once you get on over there, we actually I have the website pulled up so I might assist in familiarizing, you know, maybe, maybe you can't be watching TV at the time, right? I wouldn't even know if I would consider this television. I mean, I wouldn't, honestly, but live streaming, I, don't know. I guess all those terms will be generational in the end, won't they? Ah, but you see the television, which was, uh, was then, um, made obsolete by the live stream uh, lasted a whole lot longer than cassette tapes and eight tracks. I will not put vinyl records into that uh, category because they did have a comeback. And I know because I've got a lot of them. But anyhow, uh, as far as the podcast goes, ladies and gentlemen, you can head on over there and, uh, you know, oh, that's what I was saying. If you can't be watching a live stream, 
you can always put the C Report in your ears or on your speaker and check out any news you haven't missed. We have a whole catalog. Like we can go all the way back to our very first episode, ladies and gentlemen, on the anchor. Now, you know, as they say, uh, who watches reruns of a new show, right? <laughs> Why are you going to watch reruns of a new show? Come on. These are, these are sequential dated events. They have an expiration date, right? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I'm not saying go back and listen to every episode, although doing that would help the show. Um, but what I am saying is, uh, if you scroll through our catalog, we've got a lot here. Of course, uh, the most recent episode, aside from tonight, was episode 211, which uh, we aired yesterday, talking about Ghislaine Maxwell and the... Um, the uh, reformation of the Taliban, or at least uh, their attempts to, um, and also how we had 40 states in our nation failing to protect children from sex trafficking. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy episode. Uh, But, you know, we also have the Pima County 2020 election hearings uh, posted on the uh, podcast. Uh, We have uh, the latest, no, not the latest, Mr. C in the Dark, episode 44. I haven't gotten episode 45 posted yet because that one requires a lot of editing. So hopefully I can get that up tonight, if not latest tomorrow. Uh, But yeah, I'm going to take you on a journey through time. We're going to be time travelers for the next two minutes. Lone Star News is on here as well. Again, this is just for the uh, podcast version of the show. Look at all them episodes. Come on. Okay, this will be quicker if I use the little cursor. Okay. All right. So we'll go all the way down. And uh, where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? There we go. There we go. Taking me all the way back to February 2nd, 2021. The first episode of the Sea Report actually aired on the 21st episode of uh, The Experience with Michael Aaron Cossidis. That's me, just in case you didn't know. I should probably do that now. I am your host, Michael Aaron Cossidis. Mr. C, my friends call me. Uh, No, I don't know. We'll see. But anyways, so that was the first episode of the C Report back in February 2nd of 2021. I knew I had that date right. Uh, We were talking about the Burma military coup. We were talking about COVID-19 and Dr. Fauci's flip-flops on mask wearing. And also Governor Nipple Rings Cuomo and his scandalous nursing home murders. And the Senate and the House vying over a relief bill. Plus, Joe Biden's brother was a former lobbyist for Obama. More Biden crime family secrets. So then, of course, uh, a little bit after that, let's see, one, two, three, three episodes after its inception on the 21st episode of The Experience with Michael Aaron Cossidis, we had the first official episode of The Sea Report on February 4th. We'll still consider February 2nd as our birth date. And like I said, guys, when we're talking about uh, milestones for shows, mine is a full rotation around the sun. So February 2nd is coming up, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, We're like, ah, I mean, it is uh, halfway through December, just about, right, ladies and gentlemen? We're already at the end of this year. Time is spiraling out of control and in a frequently faster pace than we might want it to. But you know what? I guess I'm good with that. The only thing it really does, ladies and gentlemen, is it just, it does terror to my skin. (laughs) Just kidding, ladies and gentlemen. 
I use an advanced moisturizer. No, just <laughs> Anyways, guys, so yeah. So check out the C-Report on uh, anchor.fm slash the C-Report. We're available on multiple platforms. And of course, you don't even have to go to anchor.fm slash the C-Report if you don't want to. Uh, you, if you use uh, any other uh, streaming platform for podcasts, you can find us there. If you do, however, go to the C-Report at anchor.fm, uh, you could... Uh, become a supporter of the podcast. Uh, we have subscription levels here. Now, of course, if you subscribe to the C-Report on your favorite podcast uh, platform, it's free. Uh, but if you would like to subscribe to the C-Report podcast uh, to help the show out and to uh, uh, help sustain future episodes, I mean, I'd probably be doing this as long as I could anyways. I was doing this for a long time uh, before I got any kind of... Any kind of uh, audience. Uh, but that's besides the point, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we grow with the times and uh, it's been with y'all's help uh, and also y'all's company, to be quite honest, uh, for those of you out there in the audience tonight, uh, that uh, this has been a very pleasant experience. And I thank you all for that. But uh, monthly contributions, 99 cents per month, 4.99 per month, 9.99 per month, any bit helps, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I like to put it this way. If uh, you put in 99 cents a month on the podcast, you're going to get 20 episodes of The Sea Report. You're going to get four to eight episodes of Mr. C in the Dark. And you're going to get at least four episodes of Lone Star News, which is our Texas current events and headlines show. So, hey, pretty good if you ask me. Uh, You can get Mr. C on the cheap, ladies and gentlemen. All right, I'm a cheap date. (laughs) Anyways, okay, that's enough housekeeping, guys. That is enough housekeeping. Oh, man. We're going to break into the news already. First of all, guys, before we get started, uh, tonight's news is brought to you by CBS 58 News, Just the News, The Gateway Pundit, Breitbart, and NewJersey.com. Um, I know our list of, uh, our list of um, journals and uh, newspapers uh, that we're getting our stories from tonight is kind of low. Uh, but we got some other stuff in the works. We're going to look at some websites. We're going to look at some lawsuits. We're going to look at some fun stuff, ladies and gentlemen, tonight. So I thank you all for being here again. And then uh, I'm going to pop into chat real quick just to see uh, what we got going on out there. Uh, over at the uh, foxhole.app and the pill.net um, community, Aurelius Locke is in the house. Bill Tech. Good evening, Bill Tech. Bill Tech says, love the blue. Very vibrant. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I think this, I think when I got this, uh, when I got this blazer jacket, I don't know. Uh, I think it said it was Caribbean blue is what they described it as. But uh, don't be fooled, ladies and gentlemen. I know how to shop. I had four coupons on this thing and a discount. So I got it for like 10 bucks. Okay. So anyway, Yeah, some people are like, God, he's got a lot of suits. I like to dress up. Okay, that's not a mystery. We talk about it all the way back on episode one. No, just kidding. I don't think on episode one of the Sea Report, we were even on a live stream. We were just doing it off of the podcast. It wasn't until a little bit later that we did. Uh, we brought it to the live stream. But uh, yeah, I was wearing my, uh, I think I was wearing the red suit the first day that I broadcasted on uh, the foxhole.app, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I don't know. I like to get dressed up, y'all. I mean, I went to church three days a week with two days of service out in the field. 
and we always dressed up. So um, I'm used to it, you know, I'm used to it. Like, I'm like, yes, suit and tie and uh, slacks and dress shoes all to the nine. Well, maybe not to the nine. We didn't have vests and you know, all those little accessories, you know, like my little pocket square. Anyways, I feel like I'm talking too much about myself. <laughs> but thank you again, Bill Tech. I'm glad you like the blue. I certainly do. I certainly do. Ladies and gentlemen. Okay, guys. All right. Let me see what else we got here going on. Uh, the Skeeter Burke is in the house. Good evening, Mrs. Burke. How are you doing tonight? Aurelius Locke says, just Mac. That's right, sir. That is, those are my initials. Um, you guys are aware that I'm a twin, right? Uh, we don't have twin names. Uh, his name sounds nothing like my name. However, however, our initials are Mac and Gak. Go figure. I, 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 I don't even know if my parents intended to do that, but they did. <laughs> Anyways, our middle initials uh, both start with an A, but they don't even sound like twin names either. So I don't know. But anyways, yeah. Um, let's see. So yeah, Mac. Michael Aaron Gossetus. That is me. C-A-S-A-R-E-S. -S, Mickey Mouse. Don't forget it. All right, uh, let's see what we got here. Skeeterberg says, my fox anniversary is coming up too, the day after Rush passed away. So 2.18, I think. Oh, wow, Skeeterberg. So you, uh, you came in in February. Let's see, I landed at the foxhole in April. Or yeah, April, I think it was, April. So very cool, very cool. Well, and your birthday's coming up too, isn't it, Skeeterberg? Yeah, I remembered, aha. 123SKG says, Mr. C, Rick Perry is running for governor. Different Rick Perry. Okay, girl. <laughs> I was like, really? I was like, great. So I can bust out that three-minute clip where he's making homosexual insinuations with him and another Congress member on the floor of the house. <laughs> great. Well, you, well, we can bring that clip up. I got it saved, ladies and gentlemen. 123SKG, thank you for gifting the can. Who was the congressman? Um, I know it wasn't Joe Scarborough. It was another congressman. No, it was like, it was a comedian. I think he was a comedian or an actor or something like that. And then he became a congressman. And there was a clip. It's like two or three minutes long where Rick Perry and him are going on and on about the fun that they had on his couch when he spent the night or something like that. And I was like, what? I was like, he looks a little, you know, steer and queer, but like, uh, come on. <laughs> come on. I don't want to think about a man that I disrespect that much that way. Are you kidding me? All right. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that jolt there. One, two, three, SKG. Uh, let's see. CJM61 says, hey, Seelies. Who's Seelies? <laughs> I think I'm a little slow on the uptake there, Mr. CJM61. Uh, Skeeterberg, dang, that's cheap. Yeah, it's cheap. I had a discount and three coupons. Uh, the coat retail, not cheap. <laughs> not cheap. I would not buy this coat whole price. No, 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 no. Not at all. Uh, let's see here. And uh, doesn't look cheap, though. It looks very slick. Yeah, I'm telling you. Well... I mean, it's from like, it's not, it's not a high end. Uh, this is like medium, you know, uh, brand by, you know, label. 
designer, whatever. It's not even a designer. Uh, Aurelius Locke says, Mac Daddy or Daddy Mac? Well, you know, Aurelius, to be quite honest with you, I prefer not to be called Daddy. <laughs> I can't help it that they do, but uh, hmm, that's a good question. I'll take Mac and cheese. How about that, Aurelius Locke? <laughs> You got it, CJM! It was Al Franken! Go look it up, guys. Go look up Al Franken, Rick Perry, gay. <laughs> and it is, it is Al Franken. It was Al Franken. Thank you, man. That is some good recall right there, my friend. That is some good recall. Yeah, Al Franken and uh, Rick Perry goofing off and joking on about their gay night on a couch. Craziness, right? Skeeter Burke, I had your birthday wrong. I am so sorry. So who is December 28th? Is that Tam Growl? I bet you it's Tam Growl. Tam Growl is December 28th. And you're November 17th? I'm so sorry. Happy belated birthday to you, Skeeter Burke. I thought I was like on the ball with that. I was like, I'm going to impress Miss Skeeter Burke tonight. <laughs> oh my goodness. And let's see. Hey, Chew Rivers, how's it going tonight? Two Rivers is dropping us some info here. He says, looks like Lizard Cheney remembered that letter she got during the GHW Bush. Uh, just say Daddy Bush. <laughs> just say, uh, just say uh, Pedo Bush. I know, I, they're probably all pedos. Um, that which thinks she has judicial authority. Yeah, Cheney. Um, she had this uh, thing that just came out, I think today, wasn't it? Where she was reading the text messages from uh, President Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows. You notice I didn't say former President Trump and I did not say ex-chief of staff. I said President Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, um, which I think totally just blew up in her face. I think it might've ruined their entire... Uh, um, like modus operandi, it's just it, it, they, it it's gonna ruin it. It seems like the entire hearing for them, because the word, the text of those messages, it doesn't seem like this was a planned and thought out insurrection. But anyways, I guess we'll see how that goes. You know, in that in that because I watched uh, I watched some of that video with um with uh, Lizard Cheney, right? I like that Lizard Cheney. Uh, reading those texts and just, you know, thinking she's doing whatever she can do. But I thought today in this most recent one with her, she looked to me, she looked deflated, defeated. I don't know. Something looked like it was up. Not that, uh, you know, I'm going to be, oh, Liz, I hope you're okay. No, Liz, I think you need to go uh, back to Wyoming and you need to leave uh, public office for good. And uh, maybe go try and do something nice for your neighborhood or your city or your town. Maybe you can find some sort of redemption there. Maybe you can uh, volunteer. I don't know, Cheney. Uh, you need to pay back to your community. Or justice needs to be served, ladies and gentlemen. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, let's see here. Uh, good evening, Patriot 1776 Good to see you. Uh, mac and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. You guys are great. Mac and cheese. You need a co-anchor who's a mouse. Oh, that is so cute. Skeeter Burke. <laughs> that is absolutely adorbs. I like it. My friends call me CJ Mac. Hey, that's pretty cool. 
Oh, so oh, there's my co-anchor, CJ Mac and Daddy Mac. No, just kidding. I don't. I don't care if I'm called Daddy. I just. I prefer it not be outside of the bedroom. Okay, so let's see here. Depatriot 1776 is December 21st. So Depatriot 1776, you and Tam Goral are like Christmas babies. Aw. Okay, you're coming up quick, girl. You are coming up quick. And uh, thank you for gifting the cookie. 100 gold pills. Awesome, awesome, awesome. In the cookie jar. Appreciate your uh, donation there, ma'am. And, uh... Excellent. Looks like we have some more people coming in. Real quick, Two Rivers once again. Why is Lizard Cheney all of a sudden riding on DJ Trump's bum? What do you mean riding? What do you mean all of a sudden? When you say riding on Donald Trump's bum, you mean like she's going at him, right? Like she's coming for him? Or you don't mean like she's like riding on his coattails, right? I'm sure. Uh, his uh, statement continues, is Durham on her case now? Could it be something of her Ghislaine connection? Oh, man, that Two Rivers I could not speak to because I know nothing about that. Um, while I'm sure that the Cheney family name could fit into all of that somewhere, uh, I, I don't see a connection other than the fact that uh, they're all elitist globalist hacks. Uh, they're all treasonous Americans, and I put the word Americans in there because that qualifies the treason. I mean, I could say treasonous traitors, but that's a little redundant. You know what I mean? So anyways, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, a Cheney, oh, no, it wasn't Cheney. No, it wasn't Cheney. It was um, Mike, ah, I think he was a former, oh, what was his name? Run, he was running he was running child trafficking rings out of Florida. It'll come to me. It's Mike something. He was one of those big war war hawk guys. He had a stroke and then uh, he kind of bowed out, but he still, you know, his name still floats around out there, but uh God, what was his name? Michael. Ah, it'll come to me. It will come to me. Uh all right, guys. All right. Well, uh, True River says president is still a tradition of respect even after they're not in office. Well, President Trump, whom I call President Trump, and I will always call him President Trump because he is still the president. Uh, he has never been given that respect. Even in, even in the uh, independence or what the mainstream, lamestream, shamestream, fake news legacy media would call the right wing media. A lot of those rags don't even call him President Trump. They refer to him as former President Trump, uh, which I don't agree with because he is still the president. And there ain't nothing else to it. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, see, technically he is still the president. He never conceded, guys. He never conceded. And there was fraud. CJM61, I'm right there with you. They are trying everything they can do to find something to disqualify him from running again. That is all this is about, ladies and gentlemen. That, that is exactly correct, Depatriot1776. That's why, that's why you had uh, the, uh, the district attorneys in New York, the, the, the DA, was it Letitia James, going after him 
constantly. That's why you had uh, other attorneys in the Southern District of New York, all of them going after him, still trying to land that, uh, that indictment against President Trump. And it's all come up for nothing. That's why they're going after his taxes now. They are going to stop at nothing. And they, you know, the, the most obvious attempt at the, end of, uh, at the end of all of those sham impeachments that they held, that wasted money, wasted time, destroyed the morale of a nation, right? Uh, caused, caused uh, what, two-thirds of the country to lose confidence in their elected officials? Or I should say in the president. Now, that's not to say that one-third was totally against him anyways, but if you think about it, if you're getting hammered time after time after time after time again and again and again and again with all of these lies, you're going to come under some sort of influence, whether you realize it or not. I'm not talking about you strong-minded people out there, but I am talking about just the repetition. And then it becomes common. And then it just becomes accepted. And uh, so easily they could sway people who uh, tend not to dig a little bit deeper than below the surface. You don't got to dig six feet down to talk to to get to, for example, the election fraud that we are going to cover tonight. Uh, tonight will be a little bit of a reprisal. We have a few new tidbits of information. We are going to also do a really quick recap of the Pima County election integrity hearing because uh, if you're a new listener out there or a new wa- a viewer and you didn't get a chance to check out the Pima County um, hearing on Monday or you haven't had the opportunity to check out the replays or listen to it over at our podcast at anchor.fm slash the C report, we'll just do a real quick recap. I waited a few days to do like a decent recap, you know, because we went over it on Monday, but we didn't we didn't uh, drill down on the points, but we'll do one real quick just so that succinct package of information gets out there to the public. And then we'll talk about a few other states. Uh, Georgia will be big tonight. We're going to talk a lot about Georgia tonight. And the main point about all of this, ladies and gentlemen, like I said, this is a little bit of a reprisal. A little bit of a reprisal is that all of this information proves that we can decertify these elections six months ago. Because a lot of this stuff came out six months ago, as we reported here at the Sea Report. And... uh, we're going to keep it fresh and uh, we're going to keep it available to new viewers and to new listeners and to new, uh, to new people, to new brothers and sisters who may not have had the opportunity to hear this information. Because after all, we are live on like, I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven platforms right now. So, uh, you know, we're picking up, we're picking up uh, new, new viewers and new listeners, you know here and there. So um, for their benefit, ladies and gentlemen, we'll do a little bit of reprisal. And you know what? It doesn't hurt to keep the memory fresh on some of these issues, especially when you have the mainstream, lamestream, shamestream, fake news, legacy media, and everyone who just uh, repeats and parrots their talking points telling you there was never any evidence, hard, discernible evidence of election fraud. And, uh, well, then you're kind of like, you probably just watch Fox or you probably just watch CNN or you probably just watch MSDNC. You probably don't even read a newspaper. And if you do, it's a local one. And most of the local newspapers are bought out by progressive and leftist organizations, or they are funded 
by nonprofits who also subscribe to the same types of uh, political morality, is what we'll call it in this instance. Most definitely, ladies and gentlemen. So once again, thank you. Thank you all for being here tonight and welcome in, guys. Real quick, Mike Mars, good evening. Saw you pop in there. I just wanted to acknowledge and say hello. Aurelius Locke has initials of a time zone. So your initials must be... I can't think. What is it? What? GMT? <laughs> Anyways, ladies and gentlemen. Anyways. Uh, I couldn't even think of what the G and GMT stand... Not mountain time. Anyways, okay. Yeah, El Paso is mountain time. Mm-hmm. And that always gets me confused. Because that's an hour difference for me. And then, you know, the further west you go, it's two hours. And I was like, huh? And it's only one hour difference to the East Coast from where I am, so I don't know. All right, guys, let's jump into the story in case you all are wondering why I have a photo of uh, our president, Donald Trump, and Bill O'Reilly. Guys, I've never been a fan of Bill O'Reilly. I always thought he was very persnickety and, um, you know, a tad judgmental. Uh, or maybe something narcissistic. I don't know. I, I was never a huge fan. I mean, I've never actually been a fan of him. But um, for sure, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why we have uh, these two uh, strapping young lads on the screen is because uh, President Trump is currently on a speaking tour with Bill O'Reilly. Some of y'all may be aware um, that uh, it's, a four, it's only a four-day speaking tour. I mean, it would be pretty cool if he was like doing it all around the country. But really, could he really do that all around the country? I mean, he's doing stadiums. They're they're doing stadiums. I think they're sold out, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, President Trump and Bill O'Reilly, they're doing a speaking tour called the History Tour. Uh, it kicked off uh, yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, in Florida, in Sunrise, Florida, where they're doing a two-night stay. Uh, for this history tour. And basically what they're talking about is United States history in this tour. Uh, so very interesting. And you know it's going to have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, goodies in regards to current events, I'm sure. The other two days of the tour will be in Houston, Texas and Dallas, Texas. And Mr. C didn't get a ticket. It's okay, guys. It's okay. I'm sure someone will uh, bootleg it. <laughs> And then I'll broadcast it on the show. How about that? Does that sound good? Hope it does, guys. Hope it does. But yeah, I just wanted to inform that is what's going on with these two cool cats, except for uh, Bill O'Reilly. Eh. Uh, Railanon, good evening, sir. Thank you for donating 117 gold pills to the show. Much appreciated. And it's two in the pink. Good evening, two in the pink. And thank you for donating a can to the show. 200 gold pills. So much appreciated. What up, Mr. C? How are you? I'm doing pretty good, sir. Pretty good for a Tuesday afternoon in a bright blue blazer. And with all the... Pretty good for the amount of election fraud and the destruction of our country. I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) That's awesome. Good to see you in the audience, my friend. And then, uh, let's see here. Uh, Blue rinse at blue rinse. Good to see you. Good to see you in the audience tonight, and thank you also for gifting the cookie. 100 gold pills. Have a cookie to keep you going. You guys always keep my cookie jar filled, and you always keep me with a drink refreshment, so I appreciate that most definitely. 
All right, guys. So that's what we got going on with Trump and O'Reilly. Let me see what I got for you next. Aha! Let's see if you guys caught this one. Now, even on a speaking tour, even amidst, uh, you know... Uh, everything that's going on with this man in his life. We, don't, we, may not, we may not even have a full picture of everything that's going on. You know, when he was in office for four years uh, in the White House, right? You know, you could keep a tab on him by the day. Of course, you know, uh, mechanisms like Twitter helped that because he would tweet every day. Uh, you know, you'd have your, his press reports every day, like everything on the daily. Now we don't get that, of course, because he's not um, in office, optically speaking. But could you imagine how much could be going on behind the scenes that we do not know and do not see? Like I said, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Meadows is still President Trump's chief of staff, not ex and not former. What does that say to you, ladies and gentlemen? I don't know. I'm not going to throw too much. Uh, I'm not going to throw too much Kindle on that fire or wood. But uh, something interesting to note. Something very interesting to note, or maybe something to think about, or ponder, or maybe even research. Uh, but he's still right in it, guys. Mark Meadows is still right in it. All right, guys. Um, oh, so this press release. So with everything that he's doing, everything that he's busy with, uh, President Trump. Uh, as we know, he is, um, he is uh, releasing or he's starting or he has created a social media platform and he has a, uh, I guess like a firm, the Trump Media and Technology Group. Okay, that's what it's called. Um, and uh, they are just, they're growing already. Uh, according to this press release that was released today, uh, the Trump Media and Technology Group just announced that they will be partnering with Rumble Incorporated. Hey, and that's pretty cool because I remember, you know, I remember when people were, people were like, well, is Trump's not on Twitter. He's not on Facebook. Well, where is he going to go? Is he going to go to Parler? Is he going to go to Gab? Is he going to go to Rumble? Is he going to go to Brighteon? And uh, I remember when he ended up going over to Rumble. That was pretty cool. I wonder what they have in store. Let's check out what this press release has to say. Do they give us any type of clue about what this will look like, this partnership between Trump Media and Technology Group and Rumble. And uh, I might add, I'm super excited that I started uploading more episodes of The Sea Report over at Rumble. Uh, so that this way, uh, and I'll get you guys the new address for it uh, as soon as it's ready, but uh, already got that in progress. We will, have, uh, we will have full episodes on our Rumble page, and we will also have clips uh, and we already have a pretty good collection of clips, uh, you know, easier to digest, not as much information, uh, copy, paste, share that link kind of thing. Um, again, succinct packages uh, of uh, information. Uh, but let's see what uh, this press release has to say once again. Trump Media and Technology Group today announced that it has entered into a wide-ranging technology and cloud service agreement with Rumble Incorporated. As part of the partnership, Rumble will deliver video and streaming for Truth Social. Ah, very cool. TMTG and Rumble are also in exclusive negotiations for Rumble to provide infrastructure and video delivery services for TMTG's subscription video on-demand product, TMTG+. 
And yes, ladies and gentlemen, I already signed up for Truth Social. I did not get accepted into the beta. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, but with any luck, I'll be able to get onto their live streaming. I mean, this is basically a President Trump show. Come on, Mr. President. <laughs> President Donald J. Trump, chairman of TMTG, commented, As part of our mission, TMTG continues to align with services, service providers who do not discriminate against political ideology. Therefore, I have selected the Rumble Cloud to serve as a critical backbone for TMTG infrastructure. TMTG has already launched Truth Social on Rumble Cloud for invited guests only, and the initial beta launch has been excellent. America is ready for Truth Social and the end to cancel culture. Uh, Chris Pavlovsky, the founder and chief executive officer of Rumble, said, Rumble is excited to provide technology and cloud services to TMTG. We continue to build the infrastructure to deliver a free, open, and neutral internet. Rumble was designed to be immune to cancel culture, and we are at the forefront of a movement that believes everyone benefits from access to a neutral platform that hosts diverse ideas and opinions. Rumble is a high-growth neutral video distribution platform. Rumble has created rails and independent infrastructure that are designed to be immune to cancel culture. Rumble's mission is to restore the internet to its roots by protecting a free and open internet. Rumble recently announced the execution of a definitive business combination agreement with CFVI, uh, CF Acquisitions Corporation. Uh, see the announcement at corp.rumble.com. Trump Media and Technology Group Corp. Trump Media and Technology Group uh, TMTG is a social media technology company. Truth Social, TMTG's upcoming social media platform, will provide an outlet that encourages open global conversation without discrimination against political ideology. TMTG Plus, the company's subscription-based video streaming service, is expected to include access to non-woke entertainment, like the C-Report, news, documentaries, and more. To learn more, visit www.tmtgcorp.com. All right. That sounds pretty good, guys, don't you think? I think that sounds pretty good. The moment has finally come. Everyone was like, what social media is President Trump going to get on? Oh, he's going to make his own. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. Awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> Skeeterberg said Trump missed the op uh, Trump missed the opportunity. Where to go? Trump missed the opportunity, tremendous opportunity to be a hit with the '80s group. I'm not too sure what '80s group you're talking about there. I probably that that might be somewhere else up in the chat scroll. My bad. <laughs> I was like, you don't mean like the age range, right? '80s. No. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, guys, let's see what else we got coming up down the pike. We have, ah, the endorsement. It's endorsement time, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see. Now, as I said at the head of the show, um, I wanted to share these two endorsements in particular uh, because they are directly related to one of the states that has the most egregious 
and was one of the most contested states for election fraud in 2020. Not to mention, they seem to have a legislative body of elected officials that come straight from you know where. Like, they need some justice served up over there, where they come from. Uh, but man, so uh, who do we have here first? Let's check it out. Who is President Trump endorsing today? And as I said, the two endorsements for Michigan that I'm going to share with you, for both of them, it is their first time running for a public elected office. So uh, these, these, my friends, are freshmen. They are brand new. They are fresh out of the pool. Ladies and gentlemen, first endorsement goes to Angela Rigas. Angela Rigas. I love people who love America and who know we have to fight the deep state to take America back. We need great leaders to rise up and continue that fight for our values. Angela Rigas is a committed fighter. She is a champion for American first, America first and for documenting the 2020 voter fraud <clears throat> and an amazing American. She embodies the spirit that made America great. And it is no surprise to me that she's related to revolutionary war heroes. Mom of four boys, Angela stood toe to toe in court against Michigan's disgraced shut down governor, wretched Gretchen Whitmer and crazed attorney general, wretched Dana Nassell. She's not afraid to fight and not afraid to lead. That's exactly what Michigan needs right now. I wholeheartedly endorse Angela Regas for Michigan State Representative. And in case you want to uh, get a visual, there she is right there. That is Angela Regas. Now, I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, I've never been up north to middle America. Uh, I've never traveled, you know, like to uh, Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, none, nowhere up. I've never been anywhere north of Oklahoma Central. I've been to Arkansas, but that's, you know, basically the same, uh, the same uh, line, right, uh, between uh, Oklahoma and Arkansas. And uh, it's weird because going through all of these stories, talking about the election fraud, getting to know the candidates, the people getting to know who's giving them the problems. I feel like I have a weird affinity towards the state of Michigan. I don't know why. I have no reason in my family history to have uh, an affinity towards Michigan. I must be an awesome state. I mean, I like uh, some, like Matthew DiPerno, Christina Caramo. Uh, those people are my heroes, okay, for the work that they're doing and the efforts that they're trying, uh, the efforts that they are um, putting up to um, secure the elections, uh, to uh, restore our republic, to bring America back. Um, but uh, like I said, Angela Regas, first time, first time, ladies and gentlemen, that she will be running for public office Let's do her one more good here, guys. Let's take a look at her website so we can kind of fill this woman out because uh, she won't have a voting record. She won't have a campaign finance record that we can scour through. Um, I did find a video on her where she was, uh, um, she was at a, a rally in Michigan, obviously. Uh, it was over COVID and um, the way that... Uh, the state of Michigan was shut down. 
shut down by wretched Gretchen Whitmer. And uh, man, she was like, uh, coming from a family line of American revolutionaries, um, when wretched Gretchen Whitmer, or she didn't say wretched, obviously, uh, when Governor Whitmer (laughs) uh, decided to lock down our states and decided that only a select group of people were essential. Well, that's not what the Constitution said. The Constitution says all men are created equal. That means all men are essential. And women. You get what, y'all get what I mean. Just in case you got, we got any SJW uh, people out there. Okay, get over it. Okay? <laughs> there used to be a time when you could say mankind and you knew that you were talking about two genders. Man and woman. Right? <laughs> Anyways, okay. Um, so... That's what she said. She said, she said, the constitution says all men are created equal. That means all men are essential. And that means when wretched Gretchen Whitmer shut down Michigan, I had to fight. And that's what she said. She said, so I had to fight. She said, I'm going to fight it. And that's what she's been doing. And now she has an endorsement by President Trump. And now she is running for um, state representative in the state of Michigan, 86th district. So let's see what she, uh, oh, check this out. Michigan first. Yeah, that's right, baby. That is right. Michigan first. I mean, obviously America first, but if we're going by the, uh, you know, the 10th and uh, 9th and 10th amendment, then uh, it goes back to your backyards first, right? It's like my house and my home first. Got to keep that in order. But America first, the spirit lives on and it will be that way. So some of her, uh, some of her issues here, election integrity, rule of law, support for veterans, poor life, uh, pro-life, pardon me. And, uh, let's see here. We're just going to familiarize ourselves with, uh, this brand new endorsed candidate. Really, really brand new. Grassroots civil rights activist, defender of the constitution and bill of rights. Angela is a lifelong Michigan resident having grown up and attended school in Hastings, Michigan. She currently resides in the Alto, Michigan area in Kent County with her husband, Dave, and their four boys, two dogs, and four cats. Angela is an American history buff, and she enjoys traveling with her family every year to visit and learn more about battles from the War of Independence, Civil War, and other historical sites around the country. Defender of the Constitution and Bill of Rights, voice for the voiceless students, children, and veterans, healthcare choice, freedom and privacy for all Michigan citizens, universal school choice for all students in Michigan, hold elected officials accountable to we the people who put them in office, pro-life, pro-liberty. That sounds pretty good for a first-time candidate, right? I would say so. All right. And I think that was it on the issues. Yeah. Let's just look at the election integrity one real quick. Because I am, you said, tonight's topic, as ever, election integrity. Transparency is critical to ensure free and fair elections we can trust. Support for full forensic audit to confirm election results and ensure that all legal votes are counted. Election integrity is a nonpartisan issue. I'll take it. Good job, Angela Regas. May you live up to that endorsement and to your family history. I'm sure she will, ladies and gentlemen. I actually don't doubt it looking at her, but I don't know. She never been in the state legislature. She's never been in D.C. 
you know, uh, you know, they will try and corrupt you as soon as they can. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't think I need to tell you guys that. Good evening, Sean Joe. Thank you so much for gifting the cookie. Mr. C, you would make a great judge. <laughs> uh, I think I mentioned it. I think I mentioned it on, um, when was it? Saturday when we were doing, no, 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 on Monday. Was it Monday? When we were doing the, uh, when we were doing the uh, Pima County 2020 election integrity hearings, I'm actually applying for precinct judge for the elections in my district. So funny that you should say that, Sean Joe, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> they may not, they may be like, uh, you don't have a car. <laughs> I'm going to be like, uh, I can lift. Uh, I don't have an outfit for public transport, but I can always take a lift car just to get down to the precinct office. Yeah, it's not that hard. Anyways, okay, let's talk about this next uh, this next endorsement from President Trump. Let's see what they've got to say here. Ooh, that word rhino just kind of sticks out, doesn't it, y'all? Every rhino runs as a, as a supposed conservative. Yeah, we're finally figuring it out, right? Every rhino runs as a supposed conservative. Mitch McConnell says that he's a conservative, but he isn't. Mike Shirky and Lee Cat- Chatfield said they were conservatives, but they are cowards who let election fraud happen in Michigan. Oh, Trump is calling out some Michiganders. Mike Shirky and Lee Chatfield of Michigan claim to be conservative, but they are cowards who let election fraud happen in Michigan. The Michigan House has the subpoena returns stored with their so-called lawyers at Warner Norcross, but they won't let anyone see them, including legislators. What are they hiding? A thousand affidavits showed voter fraud throughout Michigan. And where are our legislators? They did nothing. And if I may break in there one more time, they do have, they do have, they have the subpoena information. They have all the documents. Okay. And it's actually representative Myers. He's a, he's a, um, uh, scaly looking ginger man, right? He's young, but uh, representative Myers up there in Michigan. Um, he actually I think is in charge of that. And he had said that if you are a legislator in Michigan, you have the right to go view those documents but you cannot take a copy of it. You cannot take a photo of them. You are, you are put under a gag. So you cannot even speak about what you read. The only place you can read those documents is in that room, wherever they are in the state of Michigan uh, um, legislative house. And uh, I mean, basically you, you can't say nothing. You can't talk about it. You can't make copies of it. You can't record information from it. How does anyone even get the ability to do that is what I wonder. But when we think about, uh, when we think about um, AG Dana Nacelle, when we think about uh, Secretary of Snake Jocelyn Benson, when we think about uh, Governor Wretched Gretchen Whitmer, ah, yeah. When we think about Lee Chatfield and Mike Shirky, yeah, it kind of makes sense. I guess they can get away with that, right? We, uh, you know, that's the thing about it, though. If I, were in, if I were in Michigan as a representative, I would go take pictures. I would go write down notes. I would go talk about it. I don't care. Sue me. Throw me in jail. But it's going to get out. Okay? I mean, my, my reputation is not that great anyway. So, <laughs> so what's one more going to hurt, right? 
What's one more going to hurt? All right, let's finish this statement, guys. Oh, and the last point about the first paragraph of the statement. A thousand affidavits. Literally, ladies and gentlemen, we covered that story here on the Sea Report where we had Secretary of State candidate Christina Caramo walking with the people of Michigan to hand deliver over a thousand affidavits. They had like boxes of these things. And uh, that was an interesting episode. Um, but just, uh, you know, just little, little factoids and little uh, bits of uh, priceless information. Okay, let's finish this statement. It says, Jackie Eubanks has taken it upon herself to go out and document voter fraud. This courageous young woman went door to door in Macomb County and Detroit asking voters if they really voted. And she is finding further proof of the rampant election fraud in 2020. The media could have done this work, but wouldn't. The Republicans in the Michigan legislature could have done this work, but they are weak Republicans. So they did nothing. But Jackie Eubanks has been out there working hard on her own. I wholeheartedly endorse Jackie Eubanks for Michigan State Representative she is an America First patriot, and I have no doubt that she will have a great future in the Republican Party. That's a pretty good endorsement, y'all. Says a, uh, says a lot about these two. Now, um, hopefully Miss Eubanks will get a more professional picture, but hey, I love the patriotic uh, shirt she's got on there. But this is Jackie Eubanks, so you can get a face with a name. Uh, I mean, she must, she must have just, like, uh, ran. Like, she, she must have just announced she was running, because uh, she, she has not even got a photo in a nice uh, uh, pantsuit. <laughs> oh my goodness, just kidding, just kidding. But uh, let's take a look at her website. Again, just so we can familiarize ourselves with these uh, brand new endorsed candidates. Again, two candidates in Michigan, America First, about time, uh, who are running for office for the first time ever. Freshmen. They are right out of the pool. They're still green. Not even green yet, right? They still got that placenta all over them. Okay, let's see here. So this is a nice uh, little Jackie Eubanks for state rep. Okay. What I stand for. I am 100% pro-life, 100% pro-gun. I demand a full forensic audit, and I will never let a vaccine passport or unconstitutional lockdown happen. I'm sold, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I am sold. Uh, let's see here. Vote Jackie on August 2nd, 2022. They are 230 days away from their Michigan elections. How exciting. How exciting. Okay. Now, you know that the mainstream, lamestream, shamestream, fake news, legacy media, you know that they're going to start trying to run some stories on these people. In fact, I found one. I don't know if I saved it. I'll have to check in just a sec. But let's, uh, let's, let's just... Uh, Let's just do this last bit on Jackie Eubanks, Jacqueline Eubanks, so we can get to know her more. And uh, it says, I'm a Hillsdale College alumna with a bachelor's in politics and a minor in economics. I spent a year 
as a Christian missionary, worked full-time for the Trump victory campaign in 2020, was an elections worker with my local clerk's office for three elections, and was a staffer for Congresswoman Lisa McLean. Chesterfield, Michigan, is my lifelong home, and I love Anchor Bay and Michigan's thumb. I guess you'd have to be from Michigan to understand what she's talking about. During my times as a congressional staffer, I answered the calls of constituents and my heart broke the more I heard the plight of my community back home. Disgusted with the lack of action coming out of Lansing and the unwillingness of our current legislatures to address the concerns of the people, I left my cushy job on Capitol Hill to put the people back in their rightful place as the number one priority in our law-making process. Very good, Miss Jackie. Taking it back down to the basics. Because after all, it is we the people. We are um, the governors, not the governed. With uh, what, uh, proxy governors in our place? Or however you want to say it. Okay, guys. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Good endorsements there from President Trump. I look forward to seeing uh, what these two have to offer. Now, as, as for who they are running against, who the incumbent is, or what that's going to look like, uh, well, we got 230 days, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm sure that we will be able to uh, get caught up with that story as it progresses. And we will keep an eye on these two for as long as we may. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I was, uh, I was laughing at CJM61's comment about the bikini. <laughs> well, if, if that is how you gauge your voter, uh, your voter qualifications, uh, well, I mean, uh, to each their own. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Two Rivers says, I would like to go back to Michigan if they get rid of local income taxes. Three income taxes. Oh my God. That's like, isn't that worse than, uh, isn't that worse than California? I mean, we only pay one income tax in Texas guys. And I already have issues with that because that is unconstitutional. But, uh, (laughs) you know, they've known, uh, income tax, the IRS, and the Federal Reserve Central Bank. They've known that has been unconstitutional for how long? And it's, it never got any traction. Which, you know, it brings up a good point uh, that had come to mind, actually. Yeah, it brings up a good point that had come to mind, actually. Um, I came across a show, a news show. Um... The host was going on and on and on about, uh, well, very angry. I was like, you must be cut from the, uh, you must be cut from the Alex Jones cloth or something like that. <laughs> but, um, this whole thing with, uh, the audits. Okay. Uh, one statement that individual had made, uh, was something to the effect of, um, 
while not disrespecting, you know, Sidney Powell or Patrick Byrne or the America Project or, um, you know, any of the organizations and nonprofits that they created in order to ensure election integrity and to ensure that those who are victims of election fraud would be able to have uh, financial support, um, at least uh, when we're talking about the legal aspect of it. Without trying to be disrespectful for them, he was like, millions of dollars all this time for what? Nothing. And I was like, well, no, not necessarily nothing. I mean, right, if I could talk back through the screen, I would have, trust me. Um, not necessarily nothing, guys. And, and that's kind of like, it's not defeatist, but rather than going through the process that we're going right now, I would ask this question. Does anyone think that a thousand citizens picketing and protesting at the state house would change a bill, enact a new law, or amend a law? Does anyone think that 2,000 citizens going to their state house protesting would force a legislative body that, since they're all lawyers... They all dot their I's and cross their T's and check their grammar and make sure that they use syntax that you don't understand so this way they can pull one over on you. Would 2,000, 1,000 concerned Americans at their state house really cause them to uh, change their law any quicker than just a bill going through the natural process of becoming a bill? I don't think so. Look at the January 6th false flag riots. Over a million concerned Americans showed up at the National State House. And what's changed? Uh, Biden still got away with his coup, right? We still have political prisoners in uh, Washington, D.C. We still have two patriots who were murdered. And a whole bunch of lies about other things uh, surrounding that date. It didn't work, Okay. So I would, I, would, I would suggest, you know, that the route that we're going right now, as far as um, uh, the election audits, election fraud, and decertification, is the route that we need to be on. Because again, in this long game of judicial hearings and committees and legislative writing and lawyers and all that stuff... You can go cry outside of your state house with 5,000 people. And unless you literally rioted, they probably would not change anything. But Americans are not about that, at least not the good ones. And uh, it just, it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. Um, it's, it's a long game, you know. It is a long game for sure. Uh, the other thing that was of note, though, uh, in that, in that um, little discourse that I was privy to, was that um, uh, all of these legisl—I mean, all of these representatives and senators who are fighting for election integrity? The point was made. Oh yeah, they—they're not even talking about going back to paper ballots. They said specifically, Jim Marchant, Sonny Borelli, not talking about paper ballots, not talking about getting rid of the voter machines. And I was like, oh. Did you not hear the hearing on Monday? Because they said we need to get rid of those voting machines. They said we need to go back to paper ballots. They said we need to go back to one day elections. Election day, election days. 
So most certainly, ladies and gentlemen, because it is true, though, if we are going to fight this hard for election integrity and keep Dominion voting machines, that's a little backwards, right? That seems like a little counterintuitive. That seems a little bit like, I don't know. Well, I was like, what's a good what's a good analogy? Not putting the cart before the horse. Not digging the grave before you're dead. Not digging the grave after you're dead. I don't know. Anyways, let me not get off into that, ladies. I'm trying to be what? I don't know what I'm trying to be right now. I'm being silly. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. So yes, there you go. And that, that was a good point too about that. A good point about that when we're talking about uh, some of the efforts that we have going on, as well as, uh, you know, we're, we are all in this together and we are trying to be, or we are being, I would say, um, patient but driven. And uh, we as a country have never been here before. We've never had an election audit in our history of anything um, at least not on the scale of Maricopa County, full forensic, right? And um, we have to do it this way, you know? We have to do it this way. And, you know, again, it's all about the people. It's all about the people. It's about me and you and everyone who's listening out there um, taking responsibility for our country and our elections, being actively involved, um, putting the pressure on our representatives or our elected officials so that this way they know how we feel. Our silence is complicit. So we have to. We have to say something. And again, at the uh, hearing in Pima County, they stressed that so hard. They stressed it so hard. Because they would not be where they are with Maricopa County and the audit. And they would not be where they are with Pima, with Michigan, with Georgia, with Pennsylvania, with Wisconsin. Hopefully with Texas. If it were not for the people of this country in their respective states. Because we're the ones who are keeping this going. And the mainstream, lamestream, shamestream, fake news, legacy media, they are just beside themselves that the entire election fraud story did not die that was not put to rest more than six months ago they're probably like americans have never held on to something this long they're like all of our political advisors said that the americans would have forgotten about this in three months and they're still talking about it put more fluoride in their water uh give them free alcohol you know like a drug them up oh with vaccines right yeah Usually our, uh, usually our attention span is not this long, but hey, it's a new day, ladies and gentlemen. It is a new day. Aurelius Locke says two-day holiday elections. I like that idea. Uh, I really do. I, I, mean, I, w- I mean, two days, you know? Um, two days, that way you're guaranteed and they're national holidays. Uh, during, the, uh, during the Pima hearing... Um, I think they had said having election day as a national holiday, right? Which I think is also a good idea. And I, I thought it was rather funny that uh, Senator Borelli was like, but as long as they go do it. Because <laughs> you know on election day, if it's a national holiday, everyone's going to be busting out their, uh, their barbecue pits or, oh, it's what, November? You know, you can't, well, you can barbecue November in Texas if you want, depending on where you are. But, uh, you know, everyone's going to be going on vacation and... <laughs> They're, they're not even going to vote. They're like, all right, it's a national holiday. Let's go. Let's go visit Grandma up north. 
and they forget to vote. So I, I get what Sen- Senator Borelli is saying there. But hey, a two-day national election, they, a holiday, they have no excuse. They have absolutely no excuse, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, while I'm in the chat, good evening, Ringo Dog. Welcome in. I just want to acknowledge some of the new names I'm seeing. Well, I've seen you before, Ringo Dog. Uh, welcome back, I should say. When the banksters came up with the proposal of income tax, they said, hey, let's see if they will let us print their money. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, basically, maybe not in that order. Uh, they wanted to get that money printed and then they were going to tax them for it. Yeah. They wanted to ensure that, uh, they had control, total control of the purse. And I know, uh, I know some of my audience is very, very familiar with this information. Uh, but for the, uh, viewers and listeners out there who may have never heard about this, did you know that the IRS and the income tax is unconstitutional? Did you know that the Federal Reserve Central Bank is unconstitutional? Actually, that's pretty common knowledge by now. I remember 10 years ago, people were like, what's the Federal Reserve? <laughs> and then they were like, wait, it's not federal? Really? But it says Federal Reserve, right? Nope. It's a privately owned corporation with a board of uh, directors or whatever. So, uh, yeah, and then they have their member banks, 12 others. There's 13 total. Um, they, have, uh, they have wheedled down the value, or I should say the purchasing power of our currency. Um, I really can't say value, right? It's the purchasing power, which equates to value, I guess, in some instances. Uh, there was a man, I don't know who his name, what his name was, but he had said that since um, the year 2000, um, the, the dollar had lost 40% of its purchasing power with 10% happening during the Biden regime. So now I need to go look that up because that's interesting. Cause I'm like, if we lost 40% more, we're down to like negative. <laughs> I thought we only had like 10% purchasing power left. Like we can't, and that's the thing about it too. That's what I would say to some people. When they'd be like, oh, you know, uh, no, it's because things get more expensive over time. I was like, that makes no sense. I was like, we have assembly lines now. You think it costs a lot to pay uh, robots to build things? Uh, it should have gotten cheaper. Annual maintenance. Mm. Maintenance every six months. Replace a part. Replace a machine. That car should have been cheaper because no human labor went to that. There was no, uh, there was no overhead, per se, for a human to work there, or at least, you know, I mean, going back to assembly lines, we have m- much better examples of modern technology providing convenience that does not require human effort, which technically should mean that the product should be cheaper because we're spending less to make it. But yeah, let's not get into economics, guys, because then we have to talk about the, the price and the value of commodities. And we have to talk about, you know, how much wood costs and how much metal costs. And we all know that ain't doing so well anymore under this current regime. But uh, we will see how that goes. Yep, Aurelius Locke, you got it. That was it. Our currency has lost 40% since 2001, 10% this year alone. And uh, you see, I thought we had, I thought... If I'm not mistaken, according to Money Masters, <laughs> which is this super boring three-hour uh, documentary on the Federal Reserve, 
um, I think they had said we or since since the inception of the Federal Reserve Central Bank and the IR. Well, I mean, I guess it wouldn't really be the IR. It's the Federal Reserve uh, that we'd lost about 80 to 90 percent of our purchasing power. But again, that's going back since like what, 1913, 1914, ratified in 16 or 17. Wasn't even ratified. Am I missing that part of history? All right, guys. Good evening, casual GG. Good to see you in the audience tonight. How you doing? Always lovely, lovely, lovely. Awesome, awesome. Okay. All right. Let's take a look at our next story. We've looked at a, uh, we have looked at uh, future representative Jackie Eubanks' uh, website for long enough. Aha! Uh-huh. Yes. Now we're going to get into the election fraud um, because they're busted, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and uh, we know this. People who've been in the know. People who've been following these stories since November 3rd, November 3rd, sorry, I want to say November 3rd, I was going to say November 3rd, anyways, um, who've been following this, who have been doing the digging, you know, and I'm pretty sure there is a whole lot more out there, my friends, that we don't even know about. I'm sure there's a whole lot more out there we don't even know about just because the stories don't get past the local edition, you know what I mean? Um, But... We can most definitely decertify. Now, what I'm thinking here, guys, because if we jump back to what I was saying a little bit ago about, you know, the, uh, the audits versus protests and stuff like that, um, you cannot blame the Senate. You cannot blame the elected officials who are actually trying to do their job, who are actually following their oath, who are actually following the Constitution. You cannot blame them if nothing happens with the report because they have an operating procedure that they have to follow. And that operating procedure put that report in the hands of one nunchuck wielding wannabe ninja named Mark Burnovich. But if we take the report from Arizona and we consider the entire playing field that would be these United States of America and we consider all of the, uh, all of the individual cases that are happening in some of the, I guess, the more, um, what would the word be, the more uh, commonly known states for fraud. So again, we're talking Georgia, Wisconsin, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Arizona, okay? Um, Just look at what's happening there. Look at what's happening. That's why we're doing this episode tonight, guys. We're reprising some of this information to illustrate, particularly to those who are new to this information or those who are new to the show, that they could have decertified Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Georgia a long time ago. They could have decertified Arizona a long time ago. But I just don't include it in that because they have already completed an audit and the purpose of that audit was to decertify. But we don't need an audit to decertify these other states because the level of probable doubt, right, that we are, yeah, probable doubt, well, the level of doubt, the lack of uh, confidence that we now have in our elections based on what they have found, based on the whistleblower tapes that came out of Pennsylvania where they showed election officials talking about destroying voter roll tapes 
and destroying the machines, okay? Based a- and then in that, uh, in that footage also, as you all may remember, it showed them in the trash, you know? They talked about it, and with full, with full gravitas, oh, well, we can get rid of these voter roll tapes because they won't be essential for an audit. Smug traitor, that one, right? Because of that instance alone, you can decertify Pennsylvania. Never mind everything else they've already found. Okay? So that's what I'm talking about. Um, They don't need an audit to decertify these states, but I would highly recommend that once they are decertified, they do an audit. So that there, if there are any other bells and whistles, if there are any other nuts and bolts of election fraud that occurred, we can find them. Because I swear there's probably already over 20 different types of fraud that happened across these United States of America, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, states like Arizona and states like Georgia, man, they got handed bad, guys, because they got handed with a lot of fraud. Not all of them have the same type of fraud. Some of them, it's, uh, some of them it is uh, writing a memo to uh, a county to let them, uh, let them know that they can uh, legally vote harvest now, right? Which is against their state law, right? So that's why it's illegal to certify. It went throughout the entire state. We're talking about Wisconsin there. We'll get into that next. Um, and, and stuff like that. So they don't need to necessarily audit it to decertify. I think the audit, which is needed, was a really good way to segue into decertification just based on everything that's coming up in the courts, everything that's coming up in the committee hearings. Um, it needs to be forced out. It needs to be forced out. So we cannot blame the Arizona Senate for what's happening in Arizona. It is now in the hands of A.G. Brnovich. Is he corrupt? Or is he another Durham, right? Is he waiting on the right moment to strike? Now, I might be losing my faith in Brnovich, but I am still keeping my hope. <laughs> um, because I'm still keeping my hope and I'm still praying, guys. Because it could very well be that... Maybe someone said, hey, Brnovich, I know you want to prosecute. I know you want to, I know you want to make Senator Rogers smile and send him on that perp walk. But we need you to wait until two other states at least are ready to decertify. That way they can get them all at once. Three states to certify and the election is null because uh, the electors, right? Because then Biden will officially have lost the electors that he never had, right? And then, well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. The course after that, like what the next uh, operating procedure is after that, I would say, uh, I think it goes to the Supreme Court after that. And they decide. But of course, Senator Rogers has already started a petition to enact another round of voting, uh, and that is, uh, it is constitutional. There are two types of, uh, there are two types of, um, uh, I think, election, uh, how would you say that? Repairing that you could do. A- and one of that is a single vote where every state has one vote, you know, and that's the one that they want to pursue once this decertification gets underway. So instead of doing a whole brand new election, 
But I don't know, guys. That'll, that'll be a tough one, too, especially when we have nothing but rhinos and communists and rhino communists in our state houses and in Washington, D.C. So we'll see, ladies and gentlemen. We will see. But yes, 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 to serve as a reminder and to inform new listeners and viewers who are not aware of any of this information, who are not aware about any of the palpable, actual fraud that has been documented and why Georgia, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania can be decertified today. We've got this going on for you. Let's start with, uh, let's start with, um, let's start with that quick Pima County recap. So for uh, people who are new to this information, you might know about the Maricopa County audit, the forensic audit, right? Probably saying, oh yeah, it was a fraud it. <laughs> uh, did you know it was going on in Pima County also in Arizona? And it's going to be hitting Colorado next. And it's going to be hitting Nevada next. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not over. It is not over. All right. Uh, this came from Wendy Rogers. She emailed me because I'm special. No, just kidding. I'm on her mailing list. Uh, but she, she provided a really a succinct recap just to get the information out there. We're not going to spend three hours talking about uh, the uh, Air, uh, Pima County uh, 2020 election integrity hearing. Um, but let's see what she's got here. And that's the photo from the hearing. Okay, so here's what it says. Uh, a witness testified. Can you all see that? Let me expand it a little bit. A witness testified uh, that labs used to certify voting machines in Arizona were not accredited as required by both state and federal law, specifically the Help America Vote Act. They also failed to submit docs, re-conflict of interest, major shareholders, etc. Now, when that information came out, during the hearings, guys, I just about fell off my chair, okay? I just about fell off my chair because I was not expecting them to talk about this at this hearing. And I'm so glad they did. It is, it, when you talk about legal battles and uh, lawfare and dotting your I's and crossing your T's and lawyer speak, there is a statute that would immediately remove anyone, whether they are a good guy or a bad guy, whether they are America first or they are a communist, they would immediately be removed from their office because of, uh, uh, of an election that was fraudulent. Because in this instance, the machines were not certified for 2020 which means they are effectively null and void, which means as they expressed during this hearing, you have to have um, certified machines and certified vendors in order to have a valid election. That is state law and that is federal law, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, whenever they started bringing these machines out, these voting machines, that's when they started to enact this. That's when you start seeing the EAC, the Election uh, Assistance Commission, and all that coming out. And uh, the EAC was intentionally underfunded and understaffed, so it would hurt the elections. And it would have been a crazy turnaround also. It would have been a crazy turnaround if the Democrats and the Communists had been like, 
uh, well, President Trump didn't staff or fund the EAC, so it's all his fault. And they could have done that, but they didn't. Because uh, things were moving along way too fast in other directions. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, SL- SLI and uh, the EAC and uh, VNV. Uh, those are the pro VNV and SLI. Those are the two choice auditors for the EAC, the federal government, right? Let's keep in mind that uh, those two choice vendors for auditing elections are not even certified to audit elections. They have no experience auditing elections. All they can do is certify that a voting machine works. That's all they can do. And even in 2020, they still were not certified. In fact, the Gateway Pundit actually broke that story. The Gateway Pundit broke that story. Now, as far as this information goes, where we're talking about them actually testifying about these voting machines not being certified, that's another outfit, okay? I think that's the Tory Says crowd. I think the Tory Says crowd, they're doing the Q-warrants, the quo-warrantos, and they are also doing the canvassing in Arizona. The Tory Says crowd. So they're the ones, they're on the ground, they're filing lawsuits, they're filing quo-warrantos. Tory Says audience, man, they are on it. But that's them. That's them who did that. That's why I almost fell out of my chair. Okay, I was like, they're talking about this? That's crazy. No one talks about this. No one gives that the time of day. But um, yeah, absolutely 100%, guys. It's, it's amazing because the last time those machines were, were certified was 2016. The caveat to it is that if you file a quo warranto and you don't have your I's dotted and your T's crossed and everything in line, it's, you're, you're sent all the way back to the beginning. And then, you know, that takes time to schedule and get all that done, you know, lawfare. But then you also have to have someone who is willing to stand in for that office because you will lose your judges, you will lose commissioners, you will lose representatives, you will lose senators, you will lose governors, you will lose lieutenant governors, you will lose secretaries of state because of this information. And that was in every single state in this nation, ladies and gentlemen. Every single state was not certified for 2020, which means nobody should be holding office right now. But the last election that was certified was 2016, which means technically anyone who was elected in 2016 could still be in that position but how the constitutionality and the uh, state and federal you know um uh guidelines for that step goes i am yeah, that's i'm a, i'm a little out of my depth on that topic guys i'm a little bit out of my depth in that topic hey sergeant sparky how's it going we miss you mr c great show once again gotta hop Hey, Sergeant Sparky, you have beautiful dogs and horses, by the way. <laughs> I was hoping I would see you in the chat so I could let you know. Y'all have such beautiful animals. Anyhow, uh, but yes, yes, yes. So uh, let's, let's carry on with this Pima County uh, hearing uh, recap real quick. Got to get, gotta get moving, guys. We're already almost out of time here. Uh, let's see. We also found in Pima County that there was a canvas of 172 homes uh, in Pima County, and they found 62 early ballots were vote where voter is not a resident. 45% were potentially fraudulent, and only 52% of houses responded. 
In fact, there were a number of towns with more registered voters than voting age population. Isn't that crazy? There were, there were a number of towns with more registered voters than voting age population. Tapawa, Arizona. The voting age population of Tapawa, Arizona is 182. Yet somehow they have 288 registered voters. That is an increase of 158% registration rate. Uh, there was a single locations having 173 registered voters. Another example came from Sells, Arizona, voting age population 1375, 1375. And the registered voters, 2762, when only 1375 can vote. Crazy. That more than doubles the registered voters um, population in Sells, Arizona. This one next is uh, Senator Rogers' personal favorite. There was a frat house in Arizona the canvassers found that had 27 registered voters in that frat house. It could be possible. It could be possible, right? Here's the funny part. All of, well, the average age of those 27 voters was... 45 years old. Man, you live in that frat dream a little bit too long, my friend, if you're 45 years old. And uh, yeah, you could be older. They could be older than 45. That's crazy. That is crazy. In order to believe there was no fraud in 2020, you'd have to believe that the Will Ferrell movie Old School was a true story in Pima, Arizona. I don't know about Senator Rogers. <laughs> Oh, referencing a Will Ferrell movie, but hey, what do I know, right? That's funny. All right, and uh, there is Citizens Against Rigged Elections, Pima County, CARE, kind of like Wisconsin Hot. I think those are Tory Says groups, guys. Towns with twice the number of registered voters as voting age population, frat houses with an average age of 45, uncertified machines, Arizona was stolen. Point blank period. Point blank period. Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, Skeeter Burke was like, I thought you were best friends with Wendy Rogers. Man, I would love to be best friends with Wendy Rogers. Let me tell you what. She said, that woman is hard to come by. Like, she's a stickler. From what I understand, if she does not know you to be a trusted and reputable, for example, a trusted and reputable media source, she will not give you an interview. <laughs> like she won't do an interview for obviously the mainstream, lamestream, shamestream, fake news, legacy media, but even on the independents and even in the, uh, even in the uh, America First crowd, if she does not know you for a hundred percent, at least by reputation or by word of mouth, to be reputable and uh, real, genuine, she won't give you an interview. Man, oh man. I tried. Okay, so <laughs> I tried. Let's talk about Wisconsin. We're going to uh, uh, CBS News 58 for this story, WDJT Milwaukee. Here's another brief instance of why we can decertify the 2020 election in Wisconsin. And uh, we touched on this one a little bit yesterday. 
I have a video we're going to watch for this. It'll, uh, it'll sum it up a lot quicker than uh, my wordiness would. Uh, but this, guys, is, uh, this, is about, this is about what happened in, well, it happened in the entire state of Wisconsin, in every county in Wisconsin. But it was the sheriff of Racine County who's doing his due, his due diligence, who is following his oath, and who is pursuing election fraud in Racine County with a recommendation to the AG, who unfortunately is a Soros hack, okay? So that's something we have to monitor there, right? Because the, the AG is a Soros guy. He's a guy, he's a Soros guy, okay? But uh, the, and I'm sure the, I'm sure the sheriff of Racine County does not know that, but he's following the proper operating procedures. They set this stuff up for a reason, guys. You know, uh, it's annoying. It's long and it takes a lot of patience and, whew, man, sometimes a lot of nerve. But um, he is, he has submitted this information to the state agent. Well, we'll get to it into this story. Oh my goodness. Cause uh, it, it kind of seems like it's bouncing around right now. But we will figure it out, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, without further ado, here's that news report. Racine County Sheriff Christopher Schmaling, Christopher Schmaling, excuse me, claims there were election law violations in the 2020 presidential election. The Wisconsin Sheriff. Elections Commission says they were just protecting our most vulnerable. CBS 58's Brendan Cullerton live tonight in Mount Pleasant with why they say it is <coughs> necessary. Brendan. The Racine County Sheriff investigation centers around the Ridgewood Care Center here in Mount Pleasant. But they say the real problem is with the guidance the Wisconsin Election Commission was giving to nursing homes across the state. Racine County Sheriff Christopher Schmeling says employees at Ridgewood Care Center helped 42 residents vote. Eight families shared concerns claiming their loved ones did not have the mental faculty. Voicing her concern that the facility took advantage of her mother due to her mother's diminished mental capacity and filled out ballots in her name. Schmeling says the Wisconsin <coughs> Election Commission knowingly broke state law. Election officials instructed nursing homes to allow staff to assist with voting instead of the normally required special voting deputies. The election statute was in fact not just broken, but shattered by members of the WEC. The WEC says their election policy was discussed entirely in public meetings. They were following state and federal guidance that non-essential workers not be allowed in the nursing homes to protect seniors from COVID. A federal report found death among Medicare patients in nursing homes jumped 32% last year. It's sort of hand-waving away the fact that there was literally a federal and state prohibition against them entering the nursing homes. I mean, I'm not quite certain what he thought he needed to do. Have them bang on the door and push over the residents and their walkers to admit the special voting deputies? The WEC says they are no longer temporarily allowing nursing home staff to assist voters. What we said was those people still have a right to vote. And since special voting deputies were prohibited from entering, we needed to make sure that those people got to vote. The sheriff's office tells me they have no reason to believe anyone intentionally influenced the votes of the elderly. Schmeling so far has not recommended any charges. Reporting live in Mount Pleasant, Brenda Collerton, CBS 58 News. Hmm. Aw, uh, did you guys get echo on that? I'm sorry. Did y'all guys get echo on that? I apologize if y'all did. Um, okay. So I, my question would be is who did those, who did those uh, people in the nursing homes and rehabilitation centers, who'd they vote for? 
that would kind of be my question. Uh, I think that would be uh, at least worth entertaining. Uh, let's see here what the rest of this article has to say. So this was in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin, Racine County. We have one Sheriff Christopher Schmeling um, saying that employees at Ridgewood Care Center helped 42 residents vote. Okay, so that's the, uh, that's the, uh, that's the um, hard, palpable evidence there. But that's not all, ladies and gentlemen. Let me go ahead and expand this on the screen for you guys. And so you see when anyone says there's no proof of election fraud, well, send them over to this episode and we'll give them a nice little package of election fraud. It says right here, and we'll expand, expand. Oh, that's too much. All right. Okay, it says right here. Schmeling says... The Wisconsin Election Commission knowingly broke state law. Election officials instructed nursing homes to allow staffs to assist with voting. Basically, they made vote harvesting legal. Okay, State law dictates only special voting deputies or family members are allowed to assist others with absentee ballots. That's not to mention, I don't think that the Wisconsin Election Commission was ever voted on to change state election law. That is not their job, ladies and gentlemen. That is not their job. Uh, It says the election statute was in fact not just broken, but shattered by members of the WEC, the Wisconsin Election Commission, Schmeling said. Now this video here, we're not going to watch it. This is actually his hour-long press conference where he uh, unveils the results of his extensive investigation. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Sheriff Schmeling, let's let's give him a high five and uh, pray for his safety and his family. Because this is, again, I I love it when we have examples of a sheriff who does their job, who follows their oath, who is the highest constitutional law of the land, right? That's what that looks like. And like I said, this happened in Racine, okay? But it affects every county in Wisconsin. Article goes on to say, the WEC said their election policy was discussed entirely in public meetings They told CBS 58 the commission was following state and federal guidance that non-essential workers not be allowed in nursing homes to protect seniors from COVID. A federal report found deaths among Medicare patients in nursing homes jumped 32% last year. It's sort of a hand-waving away the fact that there was literally a federal and state prohibition against them entering the nursing home. Wisconsin Election Commission Chair Ann Jacobs said, yeah, but it is not, you do not have the ability to change state law. You are a election commission. Nowhere in your state constitution, and might I add, nowhere in the city charters in Wisconsin and Racine, 100%, I can say that for a fact, are they allowed to do stuff like that? So, I mean, I don't know. That's a weird case, you know. Uh, That is a catch-22 for them. But guess what? Maybe you should have just followed the law and not gotten your panties in a twist over a fake pandemic from a genuinely manufactured 
COVID-19 spore. (laughs) Anyways, uh, article goes on to say, Jacob said the WEC is no longer temporarily allowing nursing home staffs to assist voters. Good. I mean, think about it. If you have someone who's mentally incapacitated or dying, and I would assume that that means that they cannot make a decision or maybe even comprehend discussion. That's not looking down or judging or, you know, whatever. It's honest. You know, it it happens sometimes. It happens in life, you know. Um. That's why I said, who did they vote for? Who did they vote for? Particularly the ones who had no mental faculties to vote and the one who was dead. Because there was one woman, there was one mother who was dead and the child was like, she's been dead since like August. And uh, all of a sudden she voted. I want to know who she voted for, right? Um, what, okay. So we saw that here. so, uh, the Racine County Sheriff's office said they have no reason to believe anyone intentionally influenced the ballots of the elderly. Schmeling has not recommended charges to the Racine County district attorney's office, but has called on Wisconsin attorney general, Josh call to investigate statewide. So here's, here's where I'm not certain about, and I'll have to dig a little bit for this because I read an article where he recommended election fraud charges on five of the commissioners because the sixth commissioner did not vote to allow this to happen. But this is a mainstream, lamestream, shamestream, fake news, legacy media outlet. So I don't know if this is just misinformation or I don't know if this is a new development since I talked about this two days ago. But um, uh, I'll, I'll jump into that. But for sure here, this is what they're saying now, guys. And this is what, this is what I'm talking about. It it feels like they're bouncing this around, okay? And don't forget, Attorney General Josh Call comes from the Soros stock, okay? So it says here, this is what this is what this is what AG Josh Call had to say, ladies and gentlemen. He says, "We're confident that local law enforcement and district attorneys, who are most likely from the Soros stock as well, in Wisconsin." take voter fraud seriously and that if there are credible allegations of fraud, they will be thoroughly investigated by local law enforcement. In the event that local law enforcement or district attorneys need assistance in any case involving credible evidence of fraud, the Wisconsin Department of Justice is available to assist. Here, DOJ was previously in contact with Sheriff Smailing, and DOJ advised that certain interviews be conducted that had not been at that time. Significantly, no charges have been filed in this case by the Racine County DA's office. The DOJ is also currently not aware of similar allegations anywhere else in Wisconsin. I just feel like Josh Call poo-pooed the heck out of their findings. And it was like, nope, nope, nope. I'm not going to touch it. Unless that is their standard operating procedure. All these things that he just said. But um, your DAs are probably going to be at least a handful or a few of them that are from the Soros group. You got Josh Call, who's another one of them there. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it's different from state to state. Oh, it usually is. But, ladies and gentlemen... 
That is the current situation in Wisconsin. And because of the fact that the Wisconsin Election Commission sent this notice, this memorandum to every county, they could decertify Wisconsin tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight. Let me see here. We got a, uh, we got a link dropped in the chat. It says, uh, have you seen this, Mr. C? Video towards the bottom of the article. National file. Uh, whistleblower claims 35,000 votes added Democrat totals Pima County's 2020 election. Uh, I have not seen that video. Um, I am aware of that. I think President Trump actually mentioned that. I'm pretty sure Mark Fincham did as well. And I don't know why, uh, I don't know why, uh, Senator Rogers would not have, uh, included that in her succinct and, uh, concise recap of the Pima County hearing. It was probably, oh, do you mean the one from like November? Like the original, the original election integrity hearing? I, you know, you know, Aurelius Locke, I do feel like they mentioned that during the hearing. I feel like, I feel like they opened with that. Um, because I remember them saying, was it, it was either Senator Borelli or it was Representative Biasucci, I think, who said, I have a letter from someone who wants to remain anonymous. That's a whistleblower. And then they went on to, I think it was, I think that's what it was. I think that's what it was. All right. Good call there, Mr. Aurelius Locke. You see, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, of the audience who are brand new to this information, it exists. It's out there. You just have to dig a little bit deeper. You know, you have to not phone it in and you also have to care. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about Georgia, guys. We're going to spend a little bit of time on Georgia. Oh, yes, we are. Because if you could decertify any election yesterday, it was Georgia. Because so much, uh, well, they're, they're kind of touting it as mismanagement. And uh, they're kind of touting it as, uh, I don't know, uh, untrained people. Yeah. They, uh, goodness, guys. It's bad. But we've discussed this before. Let's jump into it. Let's start with this one. This is from Just the News. Georgia ballots rejected by machines were later altered by election workers to count. Do you guys remember this story by any chance? This is uh, coming back from summertime. Coming back to get you. Records obtained by Just the News provide unprecedented glimpse into human adjudication of thousands of ballots where marks for candidates like Trump were sometimes removed so ballots could count for Biden. Now, Some of y'all may remember from the Pima hearing, the Pima County hearing, they talked about adjudication and they were talking about how there were so many ballots that needed to be adjudicated. They'd never seen that before. And that was when we're talking about 20 different ways that they did 17 different ways that they did election fraud in these United States of America. I'm pretty sure it's north of 20 different ways, 20 different variants of election fraud employed in some state, to some extent, this is one of them. This is one of them. The adjudication of ballots is one method of fraud of like 20 plus methods that they used in 2020. Okay. Like they pulled out all the stops. They pulled out every playbook because they knew they would lose. Um, otherwise they knew that they would lose in the eyes of the mainstream media. Otherwise, because the American people are just going to listen to what the mainstream media says. 
And uh, they need to make sure that they give the mainstream media the, uh, the background and the, uh, the playbook, the script to what they're doing as far as fraud goes. So the mainstream media knows how to report it. Okay. Now, this story from Just the News, the records, uh, the records obtained by John Solomon and Just the News, interesting enough, Garland Favorito of Voter GA has the same stuff that he took to court, okay? Garland Favorito took to court. Um, let's see here. I think, I want to say there's a video for this one. Oh, well, let's get, let's get through this real quick just to refresh our brains. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll probably be here uh, maybe about till 20 after, just in case... Just in case you had to go have a late dinner or, you know, go spend some time with the spousey or, you know, go a fox hopping or checking out another or go, go check out your favorite TV show. Uh, we'll be here probably about 20 after a little bit of overtime, right? We haven't had too much overtime at the Sea Report in a while. All right. The article says a day after the November election, as Donald Trump and other Republican candidates clung to evaporating leads in Georgia, vote counters in Atlanta were confronted by a paper ballot known only by its anonymizing number 5150-232-18. A Dominion voting machine had rejected the ballot on election night because the voter had filled in boxes for both Trump and his Democrat opponent, Joe Biden. An error known as an overvote. The machine determined neither candidate should get a tally. And the ballot was referred to for human review. So just to put a frame on that, if a ballot is rejected or it's not legible, then it goes into human review. That means a human looks at that ballot and makes a decision. That is what you call adjudication. In every state, particularly in the five or six most contested states, adjudication levels were at percentages they had never seen before. They were higher than they had ever been adjudicated in their state's history. In other words, were these ballots intentionally sent into adjudication so that a human... Take Georgia, for example, someone working for Happy Faces, which is what? A Stacey Abrams group, which is what? A progressive lefty group? Or, or take, for example, I was Happy Faces in Michigan with the adjudication, uh, I think in, I mean, in, in Georgia, uh, in Michigan also. Michigan. Michigan and uh, I want to say Pennsylvania, where you had union workers who are doing the adjudication process because the unions were pulled in to do the election work early on. They're like, okay, guys, we need you and we need your, and, and from what I understand, some of the unions kind of made it a little bit of a requirement for their union members to go work the elections. Okay. Michigan, Wisconsin, union workers, um, Pennsylvania and, uh, adjudicating, deciding for themselves whether or not that ballot goes to Trump or to Biden, to Republican or to Democrat or whatever, right? Human error or human bias is the question, ladies and gentlemen. So that's a quick frame on what adjudication is, just in case. Let's carry on. 
All right. It says here, uh, the image of the ballot obtained by Just the News shows the voter messily scribbled a large blob in the box to select Trump as president while also putting a thinner check mark next to Biden's name. A 610, at 610 p.m. Eastern time on November 4th, tw- uh, November 4th, 24 hours after the ballot was first scanned and rejected by machine 5150, a panel of humans decided the vote should be awarded to Biden with the notation mark removed for Donald Trump. There's the ballot that they are talking about. So this ballot that went into human judgment for, as was described in the article, a big blob for Donald Trump, which to me that would suggest that uh, that's the man I'm voting for. And then a little check mark by Biden. And then this panel of adjudicators who are quite capable of human bias and human error decided that this should go to Biden. Maybe because there's a check mark on John Ossoff. Maybe these check marks were an afterthought and someone else put them on that ballot. I don't know, but uh, that is the example given. So there you go, wrapping our heads around adjudication. The adjudication ballots alone are not enough to change a Georgia election in which Biden and Trump were separated by less than 13,000 votes. However, they reveal an imperfect system vulnerable to chaos, subjectivity, or political dirty tricks, especially in a county like Fulton, where state officials documented widespread irregularities and misconduct. And now, oh, can you see that? Sorry, can you see that, guys? All right, let me get that bigger. There we go. I don't want to strain y'all's eyes, okay? Because mine are. All right. Um, Especially in a county like Fulton, where state officials documented widespread irregularities and misconduct and now want to take over election counting. Just the News reviewed uh, 1,604 pages of adjudication logs from Fulton County and reviewed 4,820 of the 5,064 ballot images where human vote counters reviewed or overrode the Dominion voting machines. Ladies and gentlemen, there were over 5,000 adjudicated ballots in Fulton County alone. 5,000 ballots, ladies and gentlemen, for a human to say, this ballot's going to go who I like, my candidate, my sports team. All right. The JTN review provided an unprecedented window into the extraordinary discretion accorded adjudication judges to interpret a voter's intent on a flawed ballot. It also raised another troubling question, at least in Georgia, where election regulations create two conflicting imperatives. One regulation, which is quoted on each absentee ballot, emphatically declares that a paper ballot should be deemed spoiled and uncountable if a voter makes any mistake or unauthorized marks. Just the News reviewed hundreds of ballots that met the spoiled definition, ballots that voters had in some way altered, defaced, or corrected that were still allowed to count after adjudication. The reason? Another Georgia regulation gives election officials broad discretion to try to determine the intent of a confused voter 
and actually encourages them to find a way to make flawed ballots count. Craziness. Now, this is a long article. We're not going to read all of it. It goes on to the Georgia Code, talks about their voter code and voter law. Uh, It talks about the Georgia Secretary of State, Bradford Raffensperger, that little snake in the grass, that little Democrat in conservative clothing. Uh, And it goes on. There is a video with this I'm sure I have. It's probably the next slide. No, 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 it's not. Did I not save it? Let me see. It's really cool. We get to hear John. Ah, did I just close it? No. Come back, John Solomon. Come back. Oh, no, we need that. We need that for sure. We got to share that with you guys. This is some good stuff right here. Okay, let me see if I can't find this other one. It's got to be here somewhere. Ballot adjudicated. And this one's going to go over here. Okay. Is it this one? Okay. It's going to be a little bit slow right now, guys. Just give me a minute. I don't know what's been up with my internet lately, y'all, but it has been running slow. The C Report is 100% listener supported. If you enjoy the broadcasting that we bring to you with the Sea Report and other shows on this podcasting platform, we ask that listeners lend their support. Become a monthly donor when you go to anchor.fm slash the Sea Report slash support or click on the support button over there at the anchor.fm slash the Sea Report website where you can help sustain future episodes of the Sea Report and other broadcasting on this podcast station. Every bit helps, ladies and gentlemen. And as always, I thank you for your support. Let's get going on this again, guys. Uh, I want to find that John Solomon video. I had a video of John Solomon talking about what we were just talking about. <laughs> I thought we had it here. Okay. We'll, we'll get to this one in just a second. Let me pop back over here. Maybe it's at the bottom of this. I found it, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, cool. All right. So let's, uh, let's see. Uh, this is a pretty good conversation here with John Solomon. Just kind of drives that point home. Now, this isn't the only thing, guys. The, uh, the adjudication is a small piece of it. Uh, when we talk about the ballot images that they reviewed, voter GA reviewed those also. And oh my goodness, did they find a lot of discrepancies about that as well, but we will get into that in just a sec. And then we'll look at one more point on Georgia. And I think that's a wrap if I'm not mistaken, but let me get this up here. Hey, just the truth. Slow down, buddy. Okay, cool. All right. Let me get this on the screen for you guys and let's check this out. All right. Welcome to Just the Truth. We are going to be doing a lot of truth-telling today on this program, from Project Veritas's Fox 26 whistleblower to also the breaking news from the Supreme Court today of a 9-0 opinion in favor of religious liberty. But first, we have John Solomon, the editor-in-chief of Just the News, who broke a story late last night about the Georgia audit and some shocking details that you don't want to miss. So, John, what is going on in Georgia? Well, remember, we were given a story for six or seven months now. Brad Raffsenberger, the Secretary of State, went on 60 Minutes and said, this was the best run of 
what is election in Georgia history. Not true. When you go get his documents, what do we have? Last night, we were able to get all the documents he used for what we call a risk-limiting audit. This occurred last November. It was the first of two actions where Georgia said, we're sure, we're confident in the ballot results of the November election that Joe Biden beat uh, President Trump. Well, when you look at the ballot results that they got from Fulton County, which is the big epicenter of voting in uh, uh, Atlanta, right, covers a big city. It's the largest percentage of vote in the state by a mile. When they went through the audit, they saw all sorts of crazy things, starting off with a remarkable thing. There were ballots that were scanned multiple times, like two dozen times, batches of 100, 200 ballots were scanned double times. There was a second thing. They had a sequence of votes where five different batches of votes each came out to the exact same total right after the other. One, two, three, four. Joe Biden, 360 plus votes. Donald Trump, only 90 votes. And the Libertarian got three votes. The mathematical probability of that happening is zero. Even the state says that's a problem. There's votes that should have been that weren't counted or shouldn't have been counted and got counted. Then there is a gap in the records, and it's a big gap. It's like the 19-minute tape on the Nixon Watergate tapes. There are 150 blocks of absentee ballots that are logged in. They get a number, but on the paper that they use for the audit, by the way, they don't show being counted. They're they're gone. They're not on there. They went to a machine. But the machine tallies don't show that they were counted. That's 15, 20,000 votes. Now, let's keep in mind that di the difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump in the state was about 13,000, a little less than 13,000 by the final audit. So, so this was outcome determinative. It potentially can be. There's certainly enough votes. Uh, the, the, the votes in question are larger than the votes of the lead. Now, they'd have to break all Donald Trump for the rate. But the assurances we were given that everything was okay in Dodge wasn't. It's not true. Now, that's the first thing. That's out there now. People can look at the documents and read it. Tonight, three, four hours from now, we're going to break part two of this story. Uh, Secretary of State Raffsenberger had a contractor that he sent specifically to Fulton County. Listen, everybody knows that in Georgia, Fulton County is sort of the black sheep of the voting family. It's had lots of problems over the years where tallies are not right, votes are missing, employees are problematic. And so it's always been, always had an eye on it. There's always been. But in this case here, something pretty significant happened. He sends a guy there to watch. And that guy watches for a while. And what does he see? He sees double scanning of ballots, suitcases with election materials, walking out with no, no one even knows who the person is that walked out with it or walked in with it. Uh, he sees an episode. There is a report of an episode. The muscle that's brought in, the people that are going to run the machines, they're observed in the elevator by an election observer, and it's reported to him that they're intending to come up and mess things up. They actually use a lot more colorful language, but we won't use that <laughs> on air. You can imagine the words they might have used, but uh, they're talking about coming in and making a mess of the election, intending to, now, were they joking? We don't know, but I'll tell you what, when you look at the document, 29 pages of errors, mismanagement, mistakes, grotesque running of an election. It just, it was completely chaotic. So these 29 pages, when, what was the date of this report? November. Wow. So you Georgia have, state officials have known about it for five, six, seven months. So Brad Raffensperger, in this phone call that the Democrats made a huge uh, stink yeah. about with President Trump, he knew at that point when he was saying that nothing is wrong with Georgia. He knew at that point the contents of this memo. Without doubt, his office knew. It would be shocking that he wouldn't read the report of the man he sent there. And so, you know, Brad Raffensperger has to say, now, let's, let's keep in mind, I want to be fair to him as well. He has always said he was worried about Fulton County. He didn't think Fulton County did a good job. But you can't go on national television and say this was the best run election when you have a 29-page report laying out 
litany after litany of extraordinary oversights, mismanagement, uh, people not understanding, scanning ballots twice, uh, losing ballots. It's just, it, it reads like a how not to do an election manual when you look at this 29 and, pages. And we had so many other people like Bill Barr even and uh, now yeah. Liz Cheney right before uh, she was uh, outvoted uh, saying, you know, this was the best run election ever. Yeah. And some people who didn't even talk to a single witness, they didn't look at a single piece of evidence. And you have somebody like Brad Raffensperger whose yeah. office had actually seen the evidence telling the Georgia state legislature this was the best run election ever. And yeah. so so I think people are wondering then what happens now? It's a great question. I think the thing to watch for is does the secretary of state go take some action to remove the top officials of Fulton County? In my story today uh, that I did with Daniel Payne, he, uh, he's quoted as saying, I want the top officials of Fulton County out. They're not removing them, but I want them out. There's a new law that was passed in Georgia that allows for the state to come in and take over a problematic election district. Will he exercise that law? Some people say that's under discussion right now. That could be the first round of accountability, right? The second round of accountability is going to come Monday. There's a court hearing by the private attorney who forced the audit, the unsealing of the absentee ballots, which, by the way, has been going on very quietly. It mirrors exactly what we report in our story. We talked to Bob Cheely, the lawyer. It matches exactly what we're finding in our thing. He's going to ask for deposition power, which means that people are going to have to raise their hand now in Fulton County if he gets that and answer questions under oath. Will they? Will they take the Fifth Amendment? We don't know. But that is the next round of accountability. Those two things, I think, are going to happen very quickly next week. The third question is, does the Georgia state legislature say, we want those documents and we want to find out where are those 150 batches? What precincts were they in? One of the odd things in the note, uh, the notes of this uh, contractor when he's observing is there's a low volume of information going out and back from the north part of the county. What what's that, does that mean? That's the Republican part of the county. Were they suppressing votes out there? I don't know. But he, he thought it was important enough to write it in his report. There is a roadmap for lawmakers if they want to exercise their constitutional duty in Georgia to go get these documents and find out what happened. All right, so two quick follow-up questions. One, how many uh, ballots are actually in a batch? 100. 100. So if you have 150, you get 15,000. Uh, if you have that group, now the group that had the identical count was six or 700 uh, ballots. So if you do that four or five times, you start to get much bigger numbers. There are website. We got it under FOIA. It's available for everyone to see. Check it out in the morning. Absolutely. So John Solomon will be following this story very closely and make sure that you are following all of John's great reporting at Just the News. Absolutely. All right. So uh, there you go. You could see uh, Mr. Solomon was quite excited about uh, the information that they had received. Um, okay. So there, here's where we here, we're going to, we're going to take it home tonight. Don't worry guys. I'm not going to leave y'all hanging because this report is from like August. Okay. <laughs> so like, that's what I'm saying. And, and they knew back in November. Okay. That's the, that was the part there that I really wanted us to grasp is that as we have covered here at the C report, the office of the secretary of state for Georgia, little Bradford Raffensperger and his snaky, snaky friends, they hired a contractor by the name of Carter Jones, who went in there and took extensive neurotic notes on everything that he saw. Okay. And um, he was there election day plus five. 
November 2nd to November 7th. That's how long this process took in Georgia at the State Farm Arena. Okay, he was there the entire time. Well, he wasn't just there at the State Farm Arena. He was also going to like the precinct hubs, the counting hub. He was just within that whole area um, taking notes on everything he observed. That was what his job was. He was hired by Bradford Raffensperger's lawyer, whom I don't remember his name, like Ryan something. But a Carter Jones is the name of the election watchdog, the observer who was taking notes. Now, he was there November 2nd through the 7th. The, the election day plus five that it took them in order to finish their fraud in Georgia. Okay. And uh, he was checking in with Bradford and his lawyer, Raffensperger, and his lawyer several times. Like he checked in with them daily, hourly asking him about the notes, and we'll talk about that, guys, also. And uh, like I said, because that story itself is, like, from the summertime, and then, you know, you hear you hear John Solomon talking about court dates and, you know, what's going to happen there. Um, and, and then if you also add in Garland Favorito of Voter GA and his efforts there, like, these are this, everyone's coming for it, right? They want to get the selection fraud figured out. They want to make sure we have secure uh, elections 2020 and forward. We will close that circle tonight with David Perdue, which I'm sure you all have heard. In addition to running for governor in the state of Georgia, he has also sued Fulton County for election mismanagement, among other things. But before we get to that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I wanted to apologize again about all of the, uh, the delays. That was not y'all's devices. That was, I, I actually honestly think it was the uh, Just the News website. Uh, since I started, um, uh, you know, running their full stories here um, on the show, like actually uh, looking at the articles, I've noticed that their website, it, it, it stalls a lot. And I think that's probably because they have a lot of traffic. I wouldn't doubt it's because they have a lot of traffic. Uh, but it's the only one that does that to me. It's all good, though. It's still good information. So I'm going to close out some of their windows to try and uh, relieve my uh, computer system and Wi-Fi. Uh, okay, so let's talk about these uh, these notes that were taken by Carter Jones, hired by the Office of the Secretary of State. And then we'll move on to David Perdue, and that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Told you we were going to talk Georgia tonight. Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. Uh, so Georgia investigators, and I'll expand that. Georgia investigators' notes reveal massive election integrity problems in Atlanta. 29-page memo obtained by Just the News cites double counting, insecure storage, massive chain of custody problems, and a worker's threat to F off or F, F shut, oh, FS up. TSU! I can't, I mean, I'm, we're, we're trying to be a family show here, guys. I know I get a little off color sometimes, but basically they're going to mess stuff up, right? That's what, that's what the Happy Faces employee said to uh, this Carter Jones guy in, uh, in an elevator. And I only remember that because we already covered this and uh, we read the entire thing. We're not going to read the entire thing today, but just to recap, in a nationally televised interview in January, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger rattled off an offensive list of measures his state used to ensure the November election count was accurate, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The bombshell report, it says right here, and I will expand just to make sure you guys got good view. Okay, there we go. 
The bombshell report conducted... There we go. Conducted... Okay. okay. Constructed like a minute-by-minute diary cited a litany of high-risk problems such as the double counting of votes, insecure storage of ballots, possible violations of voter privacy, the mysterious removal of election materials at a vote collection warehouse, and the suspicious movement of too many ballots on election day. That's not to mention the video footage that we watched here of Ruby Freeman Walking around State Farm Arena, going back into the offices, showing that there's no one observing or securing any of the dozens upon dozens upon hundreds of ballots in the offices. And she's like, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to read these envelopes here. I'm going to look at these ballots. Oh, nobody back here but me. Yeah, major violation. And that was on video. Ruby Freeman. We watched it here on the Sea Report. And I, st- I thought I'd throw that in there too, guys. Good enough reason to decertify the election, if you ask me, and then audit the beast. Uh, The bombshell report, we saw that. Uh, Let's see here. The glaring notation was written around... Oh, what was this notation? This seems like a massive chain of custody problem, the contractor Carter Jones warned in the memo delivered by his firm, Seven Hill Strategies, to Raffensperger's office shortly after the election. That glaring notation was written around 4 p.m. on election day when Jones observed absentee ballots arriving at the county's central absentee scanning center at Atlanta State Farm Arena in rolling bins 2,000 at a time. Carter Jones says in his notes, it is my understanding, it is my understanding is that the ballots are supposed to be moved in numbered sealed boxes to protect them, he wrote, noting these ballots were not. He also feared the flow of absentee ballots seemed too voluminous. Too many ballots coming in for secure black ballot boxes, he observed. Uh, Jones also raised concern about the temporary workers brought in by a firm called Happy Faces to scan and count ballots after an election observer purported to witness an a conversation in an elevator in which one of the workers revealed his intentions to mess stuff up. I'm sure you guys can uh, relate to the colorful way of saying that. I must keep an eye on these two, Jones wrote. Perhaps this was a bad joke, but it was very poorly timed in the presence of a poll watcher. He wrote that the two suspect workers had been assigned to a team confirming and boxing ballots that have already been scanned to prepare them for later audit, because this is the place where they could do least to achieve their declared objective. But Jones expressed larger concerns about the temporary staffing agency's recruitment of workers. What is Happy Faces doing to vet the people who they are sending to make sure that they are not sending in people who do actually want to mess stuff up, he asked. Okay, and then uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, a happy little reminder that Happy Faces is a Stacey Abrams agency. She owns at least, what, 16%? And also, Happy Faces staffs every office of government in the state of Georgia. Um, so yeah, man, talk about, uh, talk about bamboozling the Georgians. Uh, let's see here. 
the public emergence of the Jones gr- report Thursday does not confirm enough suspect uh, does not confirm enough suspect votes to overturn Georgia's election results or prove a plot to commit widespread ballot fraud but it is por- its portrait of incompetence mismanagement and bad election processes in Georgia's largest voting center undercuts claims by state officials that the election went swimmingly to that ladies and gentlemen the only thing that i could say is I would have no confidence that this election was secure or accurate. And because of that, it should be decertified. And I'm sure there's a statute somewhere that would allow that to happen. Uh, Let's move on from this. Okay, so this here is the 29-page report. We're not going to read it all, don't worry. But 29 pages, uh, just so you guys can see it, and also to all the, uh, the viewers and listeners who are new to this information, Seven Hills Strategy State Election Board Report, November 13th, 2020. Unabridged notes detailing everything witnessed November 2nd through November 7th, 2020. So there you go. It starts Monday, November 2nd. And uh, he's taking their notes. Uh, He was talking here about these tabulators and how uh, they were being left unattended. Uh, Some of them were left on a warehouse dock. Um, and that that wasn't uh, that wasn't appropriate. Poll bags didn't have number. There was numbers. There was no uh, there was no chain of custody in many instances. So yeah, this is just all the stuff they're rolling through. Everything he observed. Eleven twelve p.m. Many poll pads still here to be picked up. They seem to skew very heavy to the north part of the county. Uh, what that is in context of? Well, I'd have to read the whole thing. But uh, let's see here. Learn that Rick reprogramming poll pads earlier was setting up a new precinct for SC11 because someone took the wrong suitcase but only took one. Seems to be a mystery who this person was. Should have chain of custody paperwork. That means that a stranger just walked out with sensitive election materials? Question mark. Okay. No confidence. No security. I would, I would be up in arms and keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, like I said, Raffensperger, the office of the SOS, they had this information basically in real time. They had this information in real time and yet they still went out there and they still said it was the most secure and accurate and safe election in our nation's history. Insane, ladies and gentlemen. But there you go. There is the uh, there is the um, observer's report. You can find it at Just the News if you'd like to go check it out yourself. We've already read through this entire thing. See, there's he says, I send Ryan insert photo timestamped image showing that scanners are still working so that he can refute stories to the contrary. Guys, this is 12.08 a.m., Election day plus one, because it was November 3rd, and now we're at 1208. Uh, here we have Ralph Jones, Ruby Freeman, and uh, I can't remember her first name, but it's, it's Shea Moss, Wanda Shea Moss, right? No, maybe? Wanda Shea Moss, Ruby Freeman, and Ralph Jones, okay? At 1208, they have already sent home all of the election workers. They've already sent home all the happy faces people. And yet, for some reason, at 12.08, they are still counting ballots. And Mr. Carter Jones sends this photo to 
Ryan, who is the attorney of Brad Raffensperger. They knew that night what they were doing. Decertify Georgia. Like, decertify. It's just, it's ridiculous. This is, this is documentation beyond refute. This is palpable. It's thick enough to cut it with a knife, ladies and gentlemen. And just so you can get that name, Ryan Germany. That is the name of the lawyer who works with Brad Raffensperger. So Ryan Germany, Brad Raffensperger, Carter Jones. They all knew what was going on almost to the minute at the uh, State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia. Look, 1208, they're still counting ballots. Okay. Uh, Let me see. Let's just find one more point. Let me see if I can find it. It's going to be right in here somewhere. Um, 12.15 a.m., Inspector James Calloway arrives to investigate the accusations that the Fulton County staff had told the press to go home and were uh, were scanning without observers. Oh, let me expand that. Sorry. Boop. 12.43, staff sealing up ballot bins according to protocol. Ah, there is a note in here where he's like, they're double stuffing and triple stuffing ballots into the same, like he says it in the report. (laughs) And yet Brad Raffensperger says that's a myth. He says it's an urban legend that they had uh, suitcases of ballots coming out from under tables. And it's an urban legend that Wanda Shea Moss and uh, Ruby Freeman and Ralph Jones were double and triple and quadruple stuffing ballots with the same ballots. Crazy stuff, guys. I don't know if we'll be able to find this. In the interest of time, we'll we'll go ahead and press forward. But you all get the idea, right? There's the report. Don't tell me there was not no palpable election fraud, ladies and gentlemen. Don't tell me that there was no real evidence of election fraud. It is clear as day, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I like that. Snakey Abrams. Oh, dude. You totally just made up the new nickname for Stacey Abrams. Snakey Abrams. We're going to call her Snakey Abrams here now at the Sea Report from now on. Just like Wretched Gretchen and Nipple Rings Cuomo and, uh, and, and uh, Katie Schnobbs and Bradford Raffensperger. Now we got, uh, we got Snakey Abrams. Boy, that is a big snake. <laughs> she must have ate a horse. Anyways, and uh, thank you for donating the cookie to the show, sir. I appreciate you. All right, let's talk David Perdue so I can let you guys go. We're uh, down to our last story. How does David Perdue figure into this? Um, so aside from the fact that David Perdue has really... Uh, he's really been one of the more vocal vocal um, representatives, senators, right? He's senator. Um, in Georgia speaking out about the fraud of 2020. I've kind of been doing some digging on him. I I found a lot of um, articles and and some uh, where people are really accusing him of just being a rich man who had nothing better to do than to run for office and to stroke his ego. That could be the case. Uh, It made some references to some of the companies that he had worked for and was a part of. But in any instance... um, they say that this is his, uh, this is his uh, retaliation for losing the 2020 election. He's just, he's just having like a, a vanity fair here. He's having a vanity rendezvous with uh, running for governor, endorsed by Trump, 
as we all know. David Perdue says that he would not have certified the election. Easy for him to say since he lost, right? But uh, it's okay. It's okay. Um, so David Perdue files a lawsuit with Fult- against Fulton County. Um, specifically, uh, the election work. <laughs> How'd that get over here? It's Snakey Abrams. Oh, my God. Okay. Let's, let's just get to the article, guys. We're not going to watch Snakey Abrams. Okay. Uh, this is from the Gateway Pundit. All right. Breaking big. Former Senator David Perdue sues Fulton County uh, for absentee ballots scanned multiple times and 16,000 ballots not counted in 2020 election. Let's see what she says. Uh, Former Senator David Perdue is suing Fulton County's elections director, the Fulton County Elections Board, and the Fulton County Commissioners regarding their actions in the 2020 election. The case filed on Thursday in Georgia begins as follows. Fulton County Board of Registration Elections Director Richard Barron and his agents, including the other respondents, negligently, grossly negligently, or intentionally engaged in and or permitted multiple unlawful election acts and omissions by their failure, inter alia, to competently oversee the actions of the Fulton County Board of Registration and elections employee staff agents, and or contractors in the acceptance and tabulation and counting of absentee ballots, thousands of which were unlawfully marked by machines rather than legally registered Georgia voters. Now, what he's talking about there, because this this lawsuit, guys, it it has everything in it. Everything's in it. The, uh, the, the Carter Jones reports in it. The Voter GA reports in it. Um, uh, like he just mentioned here, um, the, uh, thousand, the thousand ballots that were marked by a machine and not by human that comes from the affidavits by the, uh, election manager who had served in Fulton County and had served elections for over 20 years, signed an affidavit that said those were photocopied. That's where this is coming from. This lawsuit has everything in it, guys. Everything is in it. It's insane. It's everything. Submitting that to the uh, scientific method, the court and the jury for uh, current events and, uh, and, uh, and law. It continues. These acts and omissions, inter alia, circumvented the majority vote of the people of the state of Georgia and thereby affected the outcome of the statewide general election on November 3rd, 2020 in several races, including the United States Senate race of Petitioner Purdue. Fulton County Elections Board members and Fulton County Board of Commissioners and their agents failed in their duty for oversight of oversight of the elections director, who was appointed to his position by the Fulton County Board of Commissioners and Fulton County Board of Registration and Elections. Together, the respondents' actions and inactions violated and will continue to violate the constitutional rights of one citizen, one vote, just as they violated the equal protection and due process rights of Senator David A. Perdue, an election candidate, and Elizabeth Grace Lennon, a voter on November 3rd. 
And it goes into breakdown into some sections under section 12 of the filing. It reads the unlawful, erroneous, negligent, grossly negligent, willful, malicious, corrupt, deceitful and intentional manipulation of votes by respondents violates the principles of democracy and the foundation of the Georgia Republic and is what Georgia's founding fathers sought to prohibit when they thoughtfully crafted the Georgia Constitution to guarantee all citizens the right to one vote and the right to seek relief from the judiciary to protect their one vote from dilution, discrimination, and debasement. Under Section 17, Georgia law requires superintendents, poll of officers, and other officials engaged in the conducting of primaries and elections to perform their duties in public. OCGA, um, oh, that's the, uh, the law number, 21-246. Respondents violated this provision of Georgia law as it relates to observers during the scanning of absentee ballots for Fulton County at State Farm Arena during the general election. Sections 43 and 44 from November 3rd, 2020 to November 4th, 2020. Several batches of absentee ballots were scanned multiple times and those votes corrupt and erroneous totals were unlawfully included in the certified number of votes submitted by Fulton County and uh, the oh, uh, submitted by Fulton County to the Georgia Secretary of State's office. Additionally, about 161 batches of ballots representing approximately 16,000 ballots cast were withheld by respondents from the certified results that were submitted to the Georgia Secretary of State's office. Reminder, Biden was awarded Georgia by 12,000 votes. Pretty interesting, guys. So here is uh, what that looks like. We're not going to read that because we pretty much just did. Okay. That's the lawsuit, the actual lawsuit. And here is the 78-page lawsuit. Jeez Louise, guys, when you're talking about, like, a speaking indictment, 78 pages, y'all. But like I said, this indictment has everything, okay? He names every election official. He names anyone who had anything to do with making sure that these elections went the way that they were supposed to go. They are named in here, ladies and gentlemen. Like this thing is, it is packed. It is full and it is, uh, it is, it's very thorough. Now, so we can kind of close the, uh, close the circle on what was going on in the summer with the, the, the court hearings, whether that was through, uh, that was through the district attorneys or through voter GA. You'll got, you guys will remember Voter GA, which is an election integrity group, nonpartisan, all right? The, uh, the founder of the group is not a Trump supporter. I think he's a Democrat, but his name is Garland Favorito. And he, is, he has fought hard to ensure that they can do some type of an investigation. Now, uh, there is a judge by the name of Judge Amaro, who is a, an, Obama, uh, an Obama appointee who actually allowed the trials to move forward up to a point. I was like, oh, wow, we got a Democrat Obama appointee judge who's going to allow them to do, you know, um, an, an audit. And they did. They, he allowed them to do an audit of um, electronic ballot images with a very bad resolution, something like, I don't know, less than 300 DPI. And when they completed that, 
And they got a lot of information. For example, uh, they found a lot of um, matching ballots. They had the same numbers. Uh, they had the same markings. Uh, they found a lot of ballot batches that were missing. They found, uh, they found a lot of the, um, the handwritten um, uh, count did not match the ballot count inside the boxes also. Like, they found a lot of stuff, okay? But um, when it came to the point that Garland Favorito wanted higher resolution ballot images and wanted to physically inspect the ballots, it died. It stopped. Like, literally, it stopped. So uh, here's a piece about Judge Amaro in this indictment. It says, Chief Judge Amaro is knowledgeable about the facts, circumstances, and the law surrounding the allegations inter alia of counterfeit ballots being tabulated, counted, and included and certified results of the Fulton County General Election held on November 3rd. Given Chief Judge Amaro's familiarity with the facts and law, it would be in the best interest of public judicial efficacy to appoint Chief Judge Amaro to preside in this case. With Chief Judge Amaro presiding over this case, public resources and valuable time would be used efficiently. And Chief Judge Amaro, because he previously presided over the Favorito Jeffords case, is familiar with the facts, law, and data, but he didn't let it move forward. In fact, we're still waiting. In addition, allowing Chief Judge... Okay, wow. So he just, he just, he just, uh, he just threw a bone at Judge Amaro. Oh, look at right here. Chief Judge Amaro presided over the Favorito Jeffords case from January 4th through October 13th. And, uh, go away. He conducted multiple oral argument hearings, including evidentiary hearings, and he considered and made multiple rulings and entered multiple orders in the Favorito Jeffords case. The Favorito Jeffords case raised issues of fact and law similar to the legal and factual issues raised by the petition herein. For instance, Chief Judge Amaro recognized and held that Favorito Jeffords petitioners established a prima facie case and after an evidentiary hearing ordered the unsealing of the Fulton County absentee ballots. See the May 21st, 2021 order unsealing the ballots attached here to as exhibit three. In addition, the respondents here are the same respondents that were sued for similar unlawful actions and omissions in the Favorito Jeffers case. That just, you know, he, okay. So where I last left off, which I think was somewhere around October, um, they were still trying to get higher resolution ballots and they were trying to get their hands on the paper ballots. They were supposed to meet. It was around Labor Day. It was around, if it wasn't Labor Day, it was um, Memorial Day. It was the Friday before and Judge Amaro had ordered that they uh, allow them to get their hands on the fiscal ballots. And then something happened that morning and he sent out a notice saying that they had canceled it. And then that weekend, the warehouse that stores the ballots was broken into. Do you guys remember that story? So then flash forward to October and Garland Favorito still, I mean, this dude, Garland Favorito for being like, probably like 90 years old, like he is optimistic. He is hopeful. He, I mean, he is, he's, he's, you know, he's one, he's one to acknowledge, you know? But basically what had happened here was in that hearing, which was a verbal argument hearing, the, uh, the Fulton County um, uh, DAs, the Fulton County lawyers 
lied to Judge Amaro, and they told Judge Amaro that the county was already conducting an audit of the ballot, so the judge put the whole thing on hold pending the results of that audit, and it was a lie, okay? Hey, Mermaid Miss K, how you doing, sweetie? Thank you for gifting the canon. Yeah, we're going to put Judge Amaro on blast. I don't know if I agree with that, Purdue. I mean, he knows a lot about the facts. I mean, it might help move it along, but this man has been putting the stop on it since Memorial Day, okay? He's been putting the stop on that investigation with Garland Favorito. So I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. But what do I know, right? Um, okay, so I'm not, we're going to skip through all... I mean, this is just, you know, more, more of this evidence, ladies and gentlemen. More of this evidence. Um, okay, uh, but yeah, like I said, he names names. He goes through everything in here. He names Stacy. A- uh, he names Snaky Abrams and the Happy Faces. They're included in this indictment. Um, he lists all the violations of state law. That's included in here. Um, he includes information that was obtained from um, uh, Bradford Raffensberger's little uh, Carter Jones during that um, during that um, those notations. Uh, he includes information from Voter GA. Like everything is in here, guys. Everything is in here. So uh, we'll have to see where this goes. We'll have to dig a little bit deeper into Purdue. Because that was a red flag right there for me, guys. Like, his, uh, his, uh, his recommending Judge Amaro is kind of a red flag. But then again, I mean, you know, it's like John Solomon had said. John Solomon said there was a new Georgia law that said if there's anything going wrong in a county, the state comes in and takes over the election. That was in August that John Solomon said that. And he was like, well, we'll have to see what Bradford does. Do you know what Bradford did? Bradford recommended handing over Fulton County to Merrick Garland. Like he totally absolved, absconded. Dereliction of duty. State law says that the, uh, the state takes over Fulton County or any county. And he's trying to hand it over to the federal, to the feds. Who the heck would re-elect someone like that? Who does not even take pride in their processes to try and protect it, let alone hand it over to the federal government? We don't want the federal government touching our state elections. We don't want them touching our elections, period. That is just that, ladies and gentlemen. That is just that. Anyway, 78 pages. It's a lot of information. I was like, wow. He's talking about a lot of stuff in here. This, yeah, this is longer than any of the Durham indictments. <laughs> so I was like, hopefully, hopefully, uh, something better will come out of this. But to that, ladies and gentlemen, I would also say, I would also say that we need to, uh, we need to hold that line down, ladies and gentlemen. We need to toe that line hard. Uh, because this is, the way this system has been set up and yeah, through lawfare, you can take a case that started back in October and make it last through two Octobers from now. And that's how they do it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but we have still gotten much further as far as um, waking up the American people, as far as restoring the Republic We've gotten much farther in exposing all of these bad actors, all of these treasonous Americans, 
all of these traitors to the nation uh, than we ever have in the history of our country. And I'm willing to bet that that is a true statement, that we as a body of people, as citizens of this nation, in our own respective states, have gotten much further at restoring our republic than we have at any point in our history. Because all of the information is out there. The, uh, the enemies are quite naked. Okay, Their actions are quite obvious. People are paying attention. People are remembering. But most importantly, people are acting. Okay, And that's why one year later... America has not forgotten about the election fraud that took place on November 3rd, 2020. And daggummit, President Trump is still my president. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out tonight. We uh, definitely went into overtime tonight. I went 20 minutes past the promised time, almost an hour. Well, it was a fun time hanging out and, you know, Visiting with the friends. I hope you guys enjoy today's show. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, um, you know, if, if, uh, if you know anyone who's on the fence about any of this, if, if you know someone who's reasonable but still does not believe that there was any type of election fraud, send them on over to the Sea Report. Show them this episode. It's out there, you know, just the news, uh, the Gateway Pundit. It's all there, guys. It is documented for those who want to see it. For those who do not care to be blind anymore, ladies and gentlemen. Alrighty, guys. Thanks again for hanging out. And uh, we will be back again tomorrow. I don't think we have anything special per se coming up um, as far as uh, extra extra broadcasts. Uh, Saturday, this Saturday, ladies and gentlemen, um, we will have a special guest on uh, with us for Lone Star News. So if you are a Texan, particularly in the, uh, in the central Texas region, um, stop on in. Let your friends know because uh, we are going to have a candidate uh, for a county up there on with us on the show. Uh, he, is, um, he is a patriot and an America First candidate running for a local office. So it'll be it'll be fun to kind of get the perspective of someone uh, running for a local office and stuff like that. That'll be Saturday at 3 p.m. Saturday at 3 p.m. And uh, we'll be working on getting uh, some more stuff like that for you guys. Some some more engaging conversations over here at the Sea Report. All righty, guys, I see you are you are getting your scratch on. We'll be back tomorrow. Same place. Will it be the same time? Check your local listings. We'll see you tomorrow. Till then, be safe, be blessed. God bless America and have a wonderful night, ladies and gentlemen. Love you.